Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Sissy Hypno ASMR video of Extreme Metal Podcasts. <laughs> I am I am the death metal guy, aka no bro, this is different folk metal bro, it's a different strain bro, please just try it, it's a different strain bro. <laughs> and I am the black metal guy, aka trying to come up with a clever aka when you are dead on your feet. Um, and on that note, we segue into an announcement, which is that, uh, you know, um, all things have their season, and just as Terminus took a winter break, we are now going to take a summer break, uh, for the same amount of time, that being two weeks. Uh, we will which be we, back. We desperately what? need. We desperately need it, boys. Please, please. <laughs> please, please, God, please, we need this. <laughs> you may have noticed the episodes coming out later and later in the week. This is because we have been crawling to the finish line. Um, <laughs> but both of us are just crushed by work right now. And we were planning to do kind of a summer break we've anyway. We've crushed by work for like over a month, and I think it took us until a week ago to realize we needed to take a break. When the, 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 <laughs> the full weight of the despair truly <laughs> sunk in. But... Uh, Death metal guy, I can't move my pinky. <laughs> Black metal guy, it's okay, I'll carry you. <laughs> exactly. No, no. But yeah, uh, for those of you who are here for the uh, winter break you've been here before for those new listeners don't worry we can only um not spurg about metal online for a couple weeks at a time so we will absolutely be back in full force we'll be back by the week of the 19th or on the week of the 19th um and uh related to that we'll have some uh other cool cool we'll make one of our we'll make possibly our our coolest and definitely most ambitious uh, bonus episode public in about a week to tide you over. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for those who are not currently Terminators, uh, who don't have access to all the cool uh, private press Terminus material, <coughs> <laughs> um, you'll be able to uh, sample that. And uh, for those who, who want a little sneak peek, while well, you just subscribe to us on Patreon or subscribe, start at $3 and up, gets you access to the bonus episodes, five, whatever, you know the fucking thing. We're, we're done. We're done. We're taking a break after this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay. Uh, but we have a show to do. Got one last show to do before we take a little reprieve. The show um, must go on. So it, it must go on. So, Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere. Let's talk about anal stab wound. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, for those who don't know, Sounds so anal like my stab Google wound. search history. I mean, uh, well, <laughs> my uh, it's yeah. that's actually my uh, proton mail uh, password. Um, <laughs> no, so uh, anal stab wound, brutal death, uh, one man project with Nikhil. Uh, we covered his first record, The Visceral Sovereign, uh, early this year, I think, in February. And then a little while later, I ended up doing an interview with Nikhil, uh, which was really cool if you're into like just deep cut, brutal death and kind of guitar technique stuff. And, uh, well, he has not been resting on his laurels as well received as that record was because he's got something new coming out. Um, so Anal Stab Wound officially got signed to New Standard Elite. Congratulations oh, nice. to, congratulations to Nikhil, who is... 
much more talented and much better connected than I am at half my age. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he's got an EP coming out called uh, Abstraction Bathes in Sunlight. And it's, uh, mm. it's, it's coming out at one point in 2021. So I'm guessing towards the end of the year. Um, and uh, a promo track was released called Entrancing Visions. And I wanted to play, you know, basically the first half of it on the show. Um, and I talked to Nikhil about it a little bit. And I got to say, as soon as I heard this, it was like, okay, this project's coming to its own. This is the thing. This is going to be the huge thing. Dude, your your description in the notes, uh, don't, I would don't tell him yet, but has has got me quite excited. Uh, this <laughs> yeah, like it, yeah, man. It sounds like it's probably more up my alley than the last one. This um, is very, very cool, very interesting music. So uh, let's listen to uh, the first half of Entrancing Visions. <laughs> cool yeah that is that is so fucking sick man (laughs) like i mean you you can hear the logical progression from the first record but this is like this immediately sounds like other bands this would be three records down the road and he's like yeah six months later i'm gonna do this (laughs) he did in fact take those tracks at the end of the record and those parts of those tracks at the end of the last visceral sovereign and uh build them out into a sound Oh, yeah. It, it, it's great. I mean, and you know, we talked a little bit about that in the interview about what he was really interested in exploring. Um, some of those kind of more abstract, textured, melodic ideas that he's kind of uh, pulling bits of from uh, uh, from like Disentomb and Defeated Sanity. 
Um, but what I'm actually hearing a lot of is like late cryptopsy and Lycathia aflame, and especially in some of those those motifs that he keeps using, which is something that he's kept up from the first record. Just that yeah, that crazy fast sliding dissension thing. It's it, it's so cool, and he uses it in I mean, so honestly, many different ways. I mean, honestly, when I hum that, that sounds like a jazz. That sounds like a thing from a, a lead in a jet classic jazz song. Like yeah, like, he said he was like a, a bebop thing. Well, he said he was really inspired by uh, the Sanguinary Impetus, uh, the mm-hmm, last defeated mm-hmm. Sanity record, and yeah. it's, it's very clear here. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it goes without saying that Brutal Death now has a a new contender at the highest levels. So, also just want to say you can tell that the first record was not in a bad way, in a perfectly appropriate way. The first record was sort of like a. Um, handing in your thesis it was your like or your 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 uh it, it was like his um qualifying exam it was his having something to prove record right mm-hmm. he was like i'm gonna do something that is down the line brutal death but in as skillful a way as possible trying to develop my own style i've got all these songs i'm gonna throw them all on the record um and it's going to be sort of uh dazzlingly proficient right Mm-hmm. This is a lot more relaxed. I don't think yeah. this, this is this is more ambitious, but also has way less to prove, uh, as evidenced in you know you and I were talking about. You called it like that slide, the sort of like really fluid shift from that kind of that first blasted riff, right? That I was just humming mm-hmm. um, into the uh, lawn sprinkler mosh part. Oh, oh man, that, that I mean that that little three second section. Yep. Of that rapid deceleration, mm-hmm. moving through so many different sort of uh, ostinato note values on the drums, it's like holy shit! That's and, and high then, level. And then you're just basically on a double time beatdown groove. Like I'm sure it's rhythmically more complex, but it works on the same immediate level. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can just windmill headbang to that, or you know, what whatever. It's very, um, uh, it's it's you know, it's very physical. Yeah, and so uh, definitely going to be covering that EP when it comes out. I'm very excited to hear what happens. Um, So with that out of the way, today's show, uh, we're going to go out with a bang with uh, an extremely varied set of records. Um, And uh, Blackmail Guy, you got the first half, so what are we looking at? Um, first off is one that, um, in a way I've been anticipating for a long time. I'll get into that. But, uh, this is by Sixuperion. Um, it's Auscultating Astral Monuments out on Bloody Mountain Records. uh, The thing I was trying to say is, of course, just Superion, and it has an X in it because that makes it look cool. Uh, (laughs) Superion is like some sort of, uh, um quasi-religious concept invented by the dudes in i got to say revenge conqueror and revenge mm. if not blasphemy before them but it's it's some sort of like it's some sort of it's some sort of like old school war metal thing that still gets referenced a lot um and uh yeah this is war metal although um not really particularly oriented towards any of the things we usually associate with that term yeah and the next one, uh, this is one we've been, uh, we, this is a project we've heard a fair amount about, have uh, looked, you know, been anticipating for a while, 
Uh, and this is Blinding Suns The Magic Mountain, uh, named after the, uh, the Mon novel of the same title. Uh, and um, this is out on uh, tape on Pallid Vesture and out on LP and digital on Death Shadow. <laughs> Death Shadow. There's there's your uh, metal label name. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, in the entire list of like random gen- that is definitely one of those random metal name generator names, mm-hmm. but in the entire list that's good. That is that's stupid smart. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, All right, and then after a break, uh, we'll get to my side of the show. Um first up, we're going to have Hellite with Until the Silence Embraces out on Solitude Productions. And if you know anything about that label, you know what we're looking at. We are looking at Romantic Funeral Doom. Uh, you know, a record from Solitude we covered uh, about a month ago. It was, it was alright. It had some distinctive features, but I'm kind of digging into the style, trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of it, what makes it good, and I think on this one we found something pretty solid and pretty promising, which makes me reevaluate the uh, the whole romantic funeral doom thing just a little bit. Right. And then uh, wrapping up the episode, uh, you know, since we've been trying to expand the boundaries of how we define extreme metal a little bit, we have a, in, in a sense, a very extreme traditional heavy metal record. Uh, by Eisenhand, a young band from Austria, with their debut record, Fires Within, out on Dying Victims Productions. Um, So if you are into the whole new wave of traditional heavy metal, if you're into Cromlech, if you're into metal punk, into any of those sorts of things, stick around to the end of the episode. You're going to find something that you'll really appreciate. Guess what? I'm into all of those things. (laughs) <laughs> all right so uh we are back from an imperceptibly brief break uh in which the death metal guy teleported to a cigarette and I teleported <laughs> to the, the toilet um to um uh review some as you were just saying some weird war metal this record is auscultating astral monuments by superion with an x in it on Bloody Mountain Records. So, this is a label I've been following for a while. I'm not going to say, like, since I started listening to metal at all, but, like, since I started keeping track of a bunch of shit on Bandcamp, I've been interested in... In some sense, I'm relatively late to this scene, um, which is really just a group of, like, you know, three or four dudes. Um, uh, It's... Or six dudes, max. Um, And, uh... In some sense, I'm late, because it started, I think, around a band called Valdor. Do you remember that name? I'm dimly familiar, but I'm actually... (laughs) Prefacing this, I'm kind of weirded out that I've never heard of Superion, because this seems like the kind of thing and the kind of people I would have been around, you know? Yeah, no, this is, I mean, no, these are, like, one look at, even just if you look at the label page, you can tell, like, these are our people. These are, like, these are real heads, right? Um, I can't find it, so I think he changed it out, but there was some awesome, just short, blunt statement on the homepage uh, of of the band camp that just said something like, 
like true influence resides in the shadows or something. Um, <laughs> like, um, and uh, now what it says is, you know, they're they're proud of being from Mammoth Lakes, California. BMR is from northeastern California near the Nevada line, a very rural, high alpine area that's closer to the stars. Um, <laughs> and so this band Valder was getting some considerable, I mean, I think getting talked about by, you know, like Twitter people and shit to some degree back when USBM was the thing that was being flogged, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's just because they got caught up in the dragnet, right? It's like, oh, it's from California. It's black metal. It's from America, right? Um, I re vaguely remember this being much truer than, you know, any of that shit. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, for whatever reason, it wasn't my flavor at the time. Um, that the first, I... I don't think it's the first record, but the one I can remember is Raven God Amongst Us. And I went back and got that a while ago, and it's really weird and interesting. It's like basically very cold, immortal-style Norwegian second wave. I think at that time they had a guitarist named Thor who was from Norway and has left the band, probably going back to Norway, um, <laughs> and uh, go, taken his loot and returned to the fjords. Um, and... Uh, the music was very Norwegian sounded like immortal type riffing, but like with screamo, like quite obviously, like lots of octaves and um, very short songs that were more or less through composed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so pretty interesting shit. And then it basically became a completely different band. Uh, and I'm not sure when exactly that happened, but definitely by the time they put out a record called uh, Pathetic Scum. <laughs> um, which uh you know seems 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 like a seem, seems like a judgment on the modern scene uh and released in 2015 and what that was is just like bludgeoning extremely minimal black death stuff that had enough flavor from second wave type stuff in the courting and the melodies like you know brutal emperor brutal pre full-length emperor dark throne type stuff that you could hear a relation to black metal proper, but very war metal, very stripped down, very raw and aggressive. Um, like, uh, you classify it with shit, in some sense, spiritually related to Inquisition. Um, okay. And uh, the early Inquisition. Um, but very much a conscious stripping down. Um, they, there are a bunch of projects related to this, but... Um, the, their last record uh, was Divine Cessation. Beautiful cover. Absolutely beautiful cover. I bought it on record. Um, and uh, strips it down even further to the point where almost all the riffs are power chords. I think sometimes some single, str single, string, single string trem, but so blown out that it's difficult to tell. And just long, sustained notes. Right? Um, phrases that intentionally don't have the kind of syncopations in them or shifts that make them propulsive in the way you'd normally expect or have them on such a slow time frequency that it's different even mm. though it's, it's you know it's mostly blasting a double bass and shit but um and there, there are occasional like big riff style passages of just conventionally aggressive intense stuff just cool cool riffs with lots of power chords in them and shit like that but it's really stripped down and they're really emphasizing stuff like reverb and tone in a way that black metal bands don't and in a way that's very different from cavernous death metal uh mm -hmm. and superion one of the reasons you haven't heard of it is that it's kind of the side project 
I think it's the guy, it's the guy Matt, who runs the label, and he's one of the members of, long-standing member of Valdor. Um, and this is just him. Sonically, it's clearly extremely related to the ideas that have been on the newer Valdor stuff. Um, and it's continuing this process of stripping down. What fascinates me about this label was that process of, of, of paring away. Um, so by, like, you could tell he was experimenting with a sound on Superion, on the last couple, on, like, Cosmic Void and Endless Spiritual Embodiment. Um, and it got even more minimal to the point where it was almost, like, to the point where, in some ways, it was, like, often boring, right? Because he was working out what the sound was. But, well, this is a man with an idea who has serious reverence for the power chord, the blast beat, serious interest in tone, and who is kind of waging war on the re increasingly annoying cult of the big catchy riff, quote-unquote, that has taken over black metal now. And I was like, I want to see where this is going. And boy, has it gone to a cool place. That was a lot, but I, I've been waiting to say that. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been literally waiting for like five years. Like, I've, I've had, I've had like, I've had, I think I've had a take on this band sitting around for so for a really long time so sorry about that dude uh i i appreciate the uh the room and you just didn't feel like telling me about them <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how do you feel i like it a lot uh it sounds like rights of thy degringolade mm. a band yeah, that yeah. nobody fucking cares about anymore but was well, I mean, nobody really cared about them in their heyday, so to speak, either. But they were extremely cool. Um, you might want to remind people what Rights is in relation to some bands they know. Yeah, so Rights of Thy Degringolade is basically the sequel band to... Well, I guess they're not a sequel band. So they're, it's a Canadian war metal... God damn it, Kitty, stop fighting. Anyway, uh, so Rights Without Dead Gringolade is a Canadian war metal band from Edmonton, you know, kind of the, the heart of war metal, um, featuring members of bands like uh, Sacramentary Abolishment, uh, Begrime Exemius. Uh, oh, yeah, no, it's the drummer. It's the drummer. He's, he's got some cool cool german sounding name i can't remember what it is a paulus um, cressman paulus yes. cressman yeah and he was in sacramentary he was not in access of advance though right uh, no 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 he played in weapon who are another band people have forgotten and that was yeah yeah i was gonna time. mention weapon. excellent excellent i've seen them live um, yeah so uh so but rights their whole thing is like um yeah it's war metal but that's just a foundation there it's hmm. not really interested in Goats or leather jackets, apart from being functional and warm, you know. Go and, goats or, uh, and it's not interested in sort of the kind of immediate kicks that war metal provides. It's uh, like some of it. Oh, it's much more technical uh, than the last few Superion things, and and than this, but it's very austere. Yes, uh, it, austere and yet very very complicated and challenging at the same mm -hmm. time. Um, 
very thrashy, but without any of the fun of thrash. You know, <laughs> oh, it's thank, like thank God. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's yeah. it's super cool, very bizarre music. I had a copy of Totality back in the day that was just such a sick record. I am. I should listen to them more, but it is also kind of deeply unpleasant to listen to because it's just so wonky and weird. Oh, um, yeah. No, I think the only mode you would put that on is if you, like, have bracketed out some time to, like, uh, be, to sort of, like, you know, like, I'm going to, like, be sinister and sit in my room with my shirt off reading Nietzsche or something. Or lifting. You could, yeah, you could yeah. lift to it. Yes, but, uh, yes. Um, so that was the band that I thought this band, Superion, uh, resembled the most in terms of, like, known war metal quantities. Uh, but, so, Wright's whole thing is basing their songs around certain sort of bizarre rhythmic ideas or kind of sound objects, whereas Superion is basing it off this very distinct riffing style, which is sort of a, a strange merger of almost primitive, like, death metal single string ideas. Yeah. But with these big kind of droning octaves kind of lurking behind it. You know, there's multiple times on this record where you'll oh, have... Oh, you think a, he's playing octaves? I, I think there's something strange going on. I think there's some sort of odd, maybe, effect that he's using, like maybe an octave pedal or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, because there's actually, there's a lot of mass to this music, despite yes. how kind of ghostly it can be. Yes. Um, but there's huge stretches of this record where you'll you'll hear entire riffs where a an additional guitar line is just playing a, like a single open note underneath the entire thing. Yeah. Uh, it's... And the, the effect is something that's completely idiosyncratic. And uh, also, this is perhaps the first war metal band I've ever heard that we can describe with uh, your nomenclature, Extreme Dark Side Weed Energy. Uh, this oh is, my god, yes. This is this the is, old... This is... This, this label is total... This total dark side weed energy. Oh right my here. god! We have barricaded ourselves in our citadel in mountainous East California with all of the good weed. <laughs> I am, I am hot boxing in a dungeon right now. Yes, exactly. Like if, if you want my weed, you're gonna have to deal with the fifty cal pointed at the path up the mountain. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So, well, now we've talked in abstract terms so much. Let's let's do the first sample, which is actually one of my later ones. But you pulled it up front because it's a good example of the kind of drone riffing we're going to be talking about on this. Um, so, this is off the seventh track called "Initiative Reactor," and this section is just really representative of this very unique guitar style. That's mm -hmm. clearly, I can tell, I mean, I haven't heard previous Superior releases, but I can tell this is a a very deliberately crafted guitar technique that this guy has probably been iterating on since the beginning of this project. Yes. And it's distinct, and people should pay attention to it if they're into very kind of outsider, at least for metal, guitar technique. So, let's go.
I get why you like this so much. It's it's death metal hate forest. <laughs> you know, you put that in the notes, and I hadn't Did thought I? of that. Did I write that in the notes? You said it sounds like this. It has the Slavic black metal drone technique. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just those those hovering open notes constantly. I think you're. I mean, yeah. It could somehow be convergent, but he's got to be. I mean, he's got to listen to that. I think you're right. Um. Like, I mean, it's also just a famous, it's the most famous example of that in metal is the single sustained tone under purity for the whole record. Yeah, Um, yeah. uh, Which they do with a key, I think people have hypothesized it's a keyboard. Um, I've, uh, it's it's weird too. I think it's like a, I think it's like a D flat or something. It's it's bizarre. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But um, he, uh, yeah, he's got the drone string thing, and even the phrasing there. Is that what you were picking up on? I only noticed that once you wrote that in the notes, but the phrasing, that, those those cascading melodies, that was really hate for us, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's like that, and also you've got that element, and you've also got the kind of, like, blown-out, reverbed growls, which remind me of, like, the first hate for us demo. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The Scythia what this, stuff, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, Scythia. And what this also reminds me of, now that I'm thinking of it, is the very first Ruins of Beverest, Unlock the Shrine. Mm. Oh, I bet he loves Ruins of Beverest. Yeah. But uh, Unlock the Shrine is like, that's kind of like the forgotten Beverest record, because everyone listens to Rain Upon the Empyrean, but not a lot of people go back to the very first one, what? which is a lot more like of a metal record. Than most if you, of what if would you just after. took the blast parts on Rain Upon the Impure, right? This is kind of like those, in that, like, um, Von Mylenwald's blast riffs do not work like black metal riffs or even like metal riffs. Um, these are more conspicuously metal, but they're definitely mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> well, and they're, they're more conspicuously metal, and I think that, as far as, like, note choice goes, a lot of it has more to do with real, just old-school death metal. Uh, like even kind of like death thrash stuff um you know you can you can hear like little bits of incantation here and there but i i would even go to stuff like i I don't know massacre or something you know obviously the the rhythmic configurations are completely different and the overall effect is completely different but if you just break it down into the nuts and bolts of melodic intervals a lot of this is not really what you hear on you know kind of modern very blown out extreme war metal stuff no i mean you know what's fascinating is like even this which is super minimal right it's one riff although i think he continually i think he i think there are a number of variations on it that change very organically Mm -hmm. yeah he's changing it constantly and yeah and so there are all these cool sound objects that drop in over it he's clearly spent a lot of time lately working with analog keys I mm-hmm. think he's really into this kind of, like, Dune aesthetic, sort of, you know, kind of like the Terminus aesthetic. I bet he likes Book of the New Sun and shit. Yeah, um, like like a modular synths and that future, kind of thing. Future fantasy shit with, like, modular synths. And, yeah, like, uh, and I think he's got, a, he's got like, a Tangerine Dream-style side project, I think. Um, lots of experimentation with texture. And, like, even on your most, aust- even on this sample of the austere droning stuff... He's, like, multiplied the number of riffs and by, like, I don't know, like, 10 or on 10 or 20 on this record. Um, yeah. And, and he has, you can tell, like, 
It's like he suddenly flicked on the light. He'd been planning to, and he suddenly flicked on the lights, and it's just a really different color from how it was before. It's like there, like there are tons of riffs on this record, and they they're all structured, drawing exactly on the principles he laid out in those really ascetic recordings. Mm-hmm. But suddenly, like the riffs are all firing in exactly the way that the sort of satisfying, headbangy way that you expect riffs to fire, right? Which, like, which is funny because they're not riffs that operate in the way extreme metal riffs do at all. I, I guess I just mean the, the way that, like, we like, you know. Oh, I no, mean, I get that. Yeah, but yeah, what, yeah. I, what I think is so cool about this record is that he's really fundamentally what you've got is a record built out of, like, at, at least half ideas or half components that aren't really metallic in the way that we understand them, but in aggregate create this incredibly extreme heavy metal record. Yeah. And also about the early death metal thing. Another thing that occurs to me is slaughter, like Mm -hmm. not in any overt sense, but in the sense that slaughter is kind of a drone band. They're so obsessed with the pedal point and the threat. Like they have slaughter has that wonderful quality, right? Of a very few bands. Also the stench core bands of like, we have learned what a palm mute is. And this is the greatest gift the gods have ever cast down to our wretched village. And we're going to do it forever. Yes. And like, this is, and they play it in a way that like is focused on like, this is obviously the cool part, right? And like the way they work with them rhythmically, even the uh, there's nothing conventionalized about it. They are intentionally writing the coolest thing they can possibly think of with those four notes. Yeah, it's uh yeah so cool. All right, so I mean I basically said what I in some sense this is just a demo. Next sample is basically just to demonstrate. So uh, this is um this is. Uh, Eyes of Gangkar. My God, the titles are good. Um, <laughs> I was like, this is like, if you if you like told me you have to pick one track off this record based on the title, you know, there we go. Oh, this is this um, is just evil stoner Star Trek. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, that could be that could be the reference too. Um, but yeah, so let's start. Um, yeah, this is later in the. So it's it opens with this kind of. Uh, really great minimal riff lots of very intense minimal riffing throughout this track and then uh here we go
you go. Right? That is... <laughs> that's a great... That last riff is so cool. That's a great example of, like, having that that quality of that, in a quote-unquote naive way of immediately encountering Paul Mutes and certain ideas. And it's like, well, why don't I just do this obviously cool thing? Like... In terms of the basic thing going on there, that could be a early 2000s melodic metalcore riff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it definitely could be. Uh, like, and, but it, everything about it has, and I, yeah, I, I, I doubt that's what he was going for, per se, but, like, uh, it comes from the same place of, like, laying hold, you know, as, as, as corny as a lot of that shit was, and sometimes they were, like, punk dudes encountering metal from the outside and sort of hearing these ideas for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so some of the the cool thing about it to some when there's cool stuff about it, part of it is just that like, say they get certain things being cool in this kind of riff that metalheads shy away from, right? And this guy has yeah. l- laid hold of that similar kind of reptile brain approach. Well, I mean, it, I mean the other thing that makes it so compelling, it's like yeah, it it, it resembles so many things we've heard before, but ultimately the thing that makes it so special is the sheer austerity of it mm-hmm. the, yes. The, yes the sort of boldness and confidence required to be like okay so we're i'm gonna do the the fast double time open note chug slayer style and it's gonna be it's gonna be two notes the turnaround on it's gonna be two notes i just picked the two coolest notes no i'm not gonna make it more complicated i can play something more complicated but i'm not gonna do it this mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. i wanted from this riff you yeah. know it's, I mean, uh, even simplicity for maximum effect, even just the way he's palm muting that chug there, but then deliberately playing the melodic notes as leads, as if he's going to do a more elaborate kind of like rain and blood riff. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's just doing that so he can do that kind of pinch. Yeah, yeah, he really is. It's, uh, it's uh, this, the pacing of this record, the way these songs are developed are really interesting because these songs are not songs in a very good way. They're yeah, very... That's... These are all kind of isolated fragments in the same space, you know? But it's a like, very continuous space. Oh, yeah. No, it's all it's all rigorously oriented around the same aesthetic and everything. But it's also... I, it's like, you know, you got albums where it's like you kind of shuffle the songs. You got albums you got to listen to as a whole piece. It's like even listening to this front to back, you don't feel like you're getting the full picture, but not necessarily in a bad way. You're listening to samples of this incredible sort of internal creative world this guy is experiencing. Mm-hmm. And he's he's giving you access to little snapshots of it, but you don't get the whole thing. And it's perhaps more intriguing as a result, I think. Definitely mysterious music. I, I like that a lot. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I'm a these real are, music critic now, Dad. <laughs> these songs are definitely episodic. There's like it's episodic. It's like yes, this is a yes. series of things happening. Um, there might be some sort of sci-fi narrative going on under this, but he has the good grace not to rub it in our faces. Yes. Um, Usually, the the best way to do a concept album in metal is to keep it to yourself. Absolutely, yeah. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. So uh, one thing we haven't really talked about a whole lot is, well, I mean, you touched on it briefly. The synths on this record are incredible. 
the way they're incorporated into this music is really interesting. Um, they, uh, he displays kind of an admirable restraint with them where, you know, it, he doesn't feel the need to have them constantly incorporated throughout the song. And even the synth riffs, so to speak, on any given moment are, you know, they're not even necessarily tied to the guitar riff in the way that you would hear in a lot of bands incorporating synths in extreme metal. Um, so here's a sample off Ophana Mechanical Drive. Again, extremely cool title. And I want to draw attention to the way the, the synths in this passage kind of shimmer around the edges of the riffs. They're not, you know, wedded to the riffs. And I think that has to do with I think you had the right call. These are probably all analog synths um, because there are certain textures that they produce that you can get from digital simulations, but they're so painstaking to produce most people don't bother with it. Um, yeah, let's check it out. It's really cool. All right. things that this guy has really mastered that a lot of people could take cues from <coughs> excuse me is that when he's using these synths he is using that instrument to its own strengths you know he is not yes. attempting to do guitar things with a synth or kind of orchestral backing yes. quote-unquote with a synth he is he is using an analog synth or at least a, a really compelling simulation of one um to oh, no, do things for sure i would be very surprised if he wasn't using one i think he's okay. probably i think he's probably written that on things before like like specified it but like oh okay you yeah i'll get back to it. you keep talking yeah well yeah no it's just but but he understands that that instrument and that specific style of synth has 
things that it's extremely good at and it has limitations as every different instrument does so he is just using the kind of material capabilities of that instrument to its fullest advantage you know it's uh, synths in a lot of extreme metal have a tendency to blare these really don't blare you know these are like you said um, you know, related to one of his side projects, something much closer to Tangerine Dream than they are what you think of as a metal synth. And it, there's definitely a lot of ways where that could go wrong, but he's got this very artful sense of structure in his music that allows those ideas to coexist with these really fucking gnarly war metal ideas in a way that makes it sound kind of unlike anything else. Yeah. Um, I loved how he had that kind of like, um, call and response thing going on where like he, he, you know, you'd have the riff, he had the kind of, um, major key riff on the guitar. And then the, the keys are just doing this kind of Celtic drone thing under it in his mm -hmm. slower time. And you can tell he's also, he's also just playing with, Subtle things that a lot of people aren't even going to appreciate, you know, just little variations on like attack and decay on those individual tones. You know, he, he's you, you can tell that these are these synths are played. They are not programmed. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing for metal people to think about. Like it is. um, Like the idea that Emperor was using kind of Casio type synths at the time. Mm hmm was a function of strict limitations, you know, yeah. like, uh, you know, um, analog synths are really expensive. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I think they've, they've become less expensive now, but I think to some degree, but for a long time it was like, it wasn't like the guys in Emperor couldn't have afforded analog synths, but if they did, they would have had to have an analog synth band. Right. Yeah, but but the guys in Emperor, the guys in Emperor were using their synths as a theoretical replacement for yes. an orchestra. Ex yes, yeah. and they did it in a way where because it was in some sense because the synths they were using were quote unquote worse than synths of use since, but mm -hmm. also like the probably the best they could get for digital at the time. It sounds good and cool. Yeah, right. And also because they were great, at least on the early stuff, and also because they're and still sounds very lo-fi right mm -hmm. getting nailing that kind of approach to synth since then and we've you know we've probably reviewed bands that have done it well on here and there are bands that do it here and there but it's difficult um uh this guy listens to synths as electronic music people listen to synths um yes and he like he listens to it as like industrial people and post-punk people listen to synth and whatever. Well, this right? guy, and he's, I mean, he's, even, yeah. even without the synth, you can tell this guy is very seriously listening to deep cut electronic and industrial music. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, unlike, yes. So unlike metal people, he, a lot of metal people, he really knows how to work with this stuff in a primary way. So that, that's another ruins of Everest comparison. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Anyway, last track. Um, we've said a bunch about this. Um, really, you know, you said the most epic shit probably five minutes ago, but we rolled on. So um, <laughs> as far as places to close, let's just roll out on this. Um, obviously, if I was going to pick a track at random, the uh, 
I, I didn't. I picked these parts very deliberately. Actually, no, I picked this one at random because of the cool title. Um, this one is Licentious Arbitrator, um, and it's a short track, and it fucking sounds like a Licentious Arbitrator. Let's go. break talking about various traumatic weed related experiences <laughs> um, to discuss uh, you know on from some uh, weird war metal to some arty black metal this time by Blinding Sun whose uh, record The Magic Mountain is out now on Pallid Vesture on tape and Death Shadow on LP and Digital um, so uh, yeah, this is a uh, full disclosure. We should say, uh, guy in the guy in the, uh, band has been a supporter of our podcast for a long time, uh, for which we are thankful. Um, so of course we were going to review this. Um, I think, uh, you know, so, you know, there may, there may be, there, 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 there may be some personal bias, but on the other hand, we, uh, we pride ourselves on rigorous criticism as a gesture of respect. So, uh, so let's, let's get into it. This is, um, what this is, is kind of like just distilled essence of everything about the punk scene germinated USBM of the last, you know, seven years. Longer than that, but it's become big in that time. Uh, distilled down and then used as the base for very, very sophisticated kind of, uh, refined music um what did you make of it this is interesting uh so the closest comparison i would make as far as something we've covered on the show would be the strix ascesis record that we covered uh several months back i think the Um, first couple the first track for sure yeah yeah, and I think there's touches of it, at least not in that they sound like each other, but there's no. a similar DNA going on. Um, so you've got a a thoroughly modern style of black metal that still has periodic dips towards the second wave, um, combined with a, a a truly informed understanding of emo and Indian post-rock, uh, which finds its way in. 
I will concede there is definitely emo on this, especially the first fucking riff on the record. There's no other way to describe it. Like, that's literally an emo riff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the difference, ultimately, between those two is in the, the structure and the presentation. So, you know, not to turn this into just a comparison in two bands, but for instance, Strixeschesis is clearly based off the, the fundamental texture of it is two guys in a garage together. Um, mm-hmm. It has this incredibly organic live energy. Blinding Sun is one guy... I, th- I think and, Strix actually is a one-man project, but we thought it was it? live. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it, it's been a while, so yeah, that's... It just sounds awesome. really fucking live. It sounds um, extremely live. Uh, Blinding Sun, on the other hand, is deeply cold in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And the way it's structured is less around this sort of... Like, Strix is about a sort of clatter. You know, this very pretty sort of clatter when everything's mm-hmm. put together. Sort of like Blind- buzzing, buzzing, jangling guitar tone. Things being played very uh, wildly and enthusiastically. Lots it's a bunch of, of inflection. It's a bunch of bumblebees just kind of crashing into each other in a few. <laughs> yes, you know? yes. Blinding Sun, though, is a, it's a lot colder. It's a lot more um, presentational in its riffs. Uh, structurally, this is much more of a here-are-my-riffs record, uh, which is not to say that's a bad thing, because some of the riffs on this record are pretty excellent. Um, but there's... It's it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're taking the same DNA, the same general musical DNA of both these bands, and we're ending up with completely different results. And Blinding Sun also has this augmented vibe of, especially in terms of the production, this um, deep cut, very raw, very aggressive kind of electronic industrial thing. Not that that really informs the music structurally, but clearly that is part of this guy's background, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. I, I guess the thing that I would say more than anything is that I got the idea... So in Strixeschesis... Strix, you're missing the... Um, you're, you're, you're going so interesting that you're missing the obvious thing, which is just that Strixeschesis is stompy. Stompy, ha-ha. Stompy also sounds very, like, pagan. Like... You know, um, epitome yeah. of stompy-sounding pagan forest black metal as heard by American punks, right? Um, yeah. It's just, like, oh, lots of just one-two, just, like, bashing one-two mid-tempo beats. This is very just smooth, even, uh, sort of muted blasting. Yeah, but... And some I slow mean, parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, but the thing that but I there, was there is say, a stompy riff. There are a couple good stompy riffs on this, to be fair, but it's few and far between. Yeah, it's, but the thing that I was going to say is, for Strixeschesis, the further out they go, mm-hmm. insofar as like outside of black metal, the more interesting mm-hmm. it gets. Blinding Sun, I think, is at its best when it's more traditional. Completely agreed. Yeah, um, I we, think we talked about a little bit about that. Uh, off air and it's like I, I think some of the best stuff on this record is when it's hewing closest to kind of second wave black metal yeah well I, I've got some comparisons for what I think this does sound like um second sure there are moments that really do you could say this is second wave but certainly has this certainly I mean 
Yeah, based on the the guy who does this project enjoys a certain kind of like hyper raw. He loves that hyper raw aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. But this music is much more sort of distanced and refined than I, than I was expecting. Um, and uh, but also on the other hand, sorry, the thing I was going to say is like um, it's much more in some ways it's much more conventionally riff riff driven black metal than I was expecting. Um, and it shows yeah. a, a serious interest in and mastery of the riff as a form that shows like thinking about riffs like confronting the problem of the big riff song coming up with solutions to it um like uh deep knowledge of an interest in the most immediate parts of black metal and not you know not in a bad not in a bad way right in a sense that like it's studied in the good way right but then when this it becomes most when this music becomes most sort of uh conspicuously arty right it's at its it's it's at its weakest yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I think this is, it, it's sort of the opposite of what you typically see in music with this kind of DNA. Because, you know, in a lot of this sort of thing that there's not a name for, it's not post-black, it's it's something different. You're, ta- you're talking about a general, con- it's bands in various different styles, but we know what you're talking about. Sort of like raw, lo-fi, avant-garde stuff. Right. Yeah, but even in a more meta sense, you know, in, in insofar as that style goes, a lot of it, and I would say maybe at this point, damn near maybe over 50% of it, is done by guys who are coming from maybe a punk or hardcore background outside looking into black metal. This feels like a very genuine and dedicated black metal guy looking out and trying to solve the problem or square the circle of how do I fold in these other elements that I'm interested in, but I just don't like the execution of over the years. Oh yeah. No, there's definitely a way I've seen some people comparing it to like post punk and whatever. Well, clearly he listens to that. Right. But I've also seen comparisons mm-hmm. of post black or something. Clearly he doesn't listen to that. Right. This isn't um, post black. No. This is, but it is moving in parallel to a bunch of sort of trendier attempts to produce similar ideas. Anyway, we better show them how it sounds. We're, 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 <laughs> I guess we should. We're, we're tired and, and legally, uh, we're tired and legally dead. <laughs> All right, so, it wells up from depths without a special cause. Um, one thing that I like a lot about this record is that there's a multitude of different kinds of riffs and riffing styles employed, mm-hmm. and... Some of the most exciting moments are, like on this sample, where there's just a big array of them, you know, laid out very Mm. quickly. Like I said, this has that auteur quality of these are my riffs laid out from end to end, uh, which, of course, is a totally viable way to make extreme metal. Um, The big one I want to draw attention to, though, is there's going to be a a big kind of drop into complete silence before things slow down and get a little more atmospheric. But the riff immediately before that drop sounds like a primitive, like bootleg Take demo (laughs) before even the first record was out. And it's one of the coolest riffs on the record. And I think expanding on some of these more traditional ideas would be a great direction. Thank you. 
know, it's 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 funny talking about a sample and being like, I, I want you to pay attention to the riff before something happens. And that's pretty hard to mark out. But as soon as it hit, you were just like, oh, this is fucking awesome. I was like, yes, that's the riff. <laughs> yeah, it happens with this. I listen to this on speakers, you know, and, I, you, you know, like, it happens when if you are if you are not attentively listening to it you in that moment you could miss the lead there because um, yes. the core of the melody is in the lead which is just spiraling climbing in this very free awesome way right yeah why didn't why didn't he play that for 2 minutes continuously i mean you, know? you could yeah you compared it to toke which is right but it also sounds like the it, it's also sort of a more sort of forceful and directed i mean that in a good way version mm-hmm. of some of the more far out Blazebirth shit, right? So it's like I can see that. Yeah. You could keep doing that without any determinate direction to it or like tw- four different variations on it for like a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And I guess what I mean is it doesn't directly sound like Brandicald or something, but it has that similar quality of like w- sounding kind of improvised. Even though I guarantee you this was not cuz the intervals were too good, right? Oh yeah. But like, no, I but well, it's not, very free and flowing. Yeah, not Branicol, but probably some of the some of the weirder, more like deep cut stuff that you might be more into, like Raven Dark or something I, like that. Not so much into as in familiar with it from old friends. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I really like the this whole sequence. This guy's got a a really good idea of riffs developing in a very precise direction. Because obviously the, that whole sequence before that giant kind of Take riff is directed at getting there. And he's mm-hmm, got a mm-hmm. wonderful organic kind of narrative sense of the way to get there. Um, but at the same time, there's, a, th- there's perhaps too much consideration put on structure. Because like after that drop, we go into that slower riff, which is not a bad riff at all. But structurally, that's the thing that's supposed to happen. Especially in, in like, this, this kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Especially, like, okay, here is the here's the unexpected riff. Um, and, mm-hmm. and here's the shift to a more textural and introspective thing. Now, that is a great riff. Uh, the cool thing about it is it has this kind of um, uh, baseline, almost rockish physical power to it under the nice textures. Yeah. Um, and the textures are great too. And, you know, you can hear the, you can hear the, um, we, I was saying that part really sounds like some of the best parts on the Strix, Strix, Esquises record. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it, 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 it's weird because I, I'm a little bit torn because it's like, there's nothing wrong with adhering to a sort of standardized, pleasing structure. I, I probably, I have more time for that than you do, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's things well, about this record well, that I, I like ABC. I like AB, ABC if it's if it's done right. You yeah, know, but I like, like I like really dumb shit like grid written black metal riffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. <laughs> I know what you. I know what you mean. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. but I I guess my thing is like, okay, so it's a conventional structure that's fine and everything. But there's so many things about this music that point to greater ideas kind of outside of itself and greater ideas in terms of guitar arrangement that there's points where that happens and it's like 
I mean, maybe more creative choices could be made. You know, you could you can break away from it and probably get something even better out of it. Yeah, I think it's just working on realizing. I mean, this is all bands are like this, right? This is um, this is the first full length, right? And a band is a process of trying to find where the centers of gravity are and then building on those. And the centers mm -hmm. of gravity don't always turn out to be where you thought they were. Um, yeah, that's that's been my experience. You know, doing a bunch of bands over the years, it's like you, you start a band as one thing, and then it finds itself, and you have to go along with it. Yeah, for sure. Um. While we're on this phase of the record, the earlier stuff, um, uh, I think our our guy was curious to know how this relates to the outlaw rock thing. Apparently, some people have compared this record, says noted touches of Americana, which I can certainly hear, especially on the early stuff. I think this does this qualify as outlaw rock? Ah. Uh. Is, is that a, one of those questions to the air that you're going to answer yourself, or is that for me? <laughs> um, no, I was, I was, I'm interested in your opinion. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I think I have an answer to it, but, like, I'm interested in your opinion. I think it's... Uh... Uh, well, m my answer is not quite, but my idea of Outlaw Rock is a little bit different from yours. Yeah, but I agree, not quite. It, um, I mean, it... I think it's drawing on basically all the same raw material, but it's, um, and there are parts on this record would sort of, you know, kind of, uh, jangling, uh, country folk, punk, uh, black metal rock influenced mid tempo stompy stuff, whatever. There's certainly parts that sound like that. Certainly parts at the beginning of this record, right? There's the blasty stuff that has these kind of cascading kind of Appalachian spring type American intervals. Mm -hmm. You could, you could even hum Yankee kind of over it. I mean, not, yeah. not like in a bad way, but in a way that like it really specifically major key, but in a way that sounds American. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you could put a, a fucking fife over it, right? Yeah. You got to lie. Those those big uh, big John Philip Sousa energy, yeah yeah. So there's it definitely sounds super American in parts, um, and it definitely is coming out of that tradition. But I think in terms of just having like the kind of uh, rockin' energy, uh, this oh, like so <laughs> gorked gorked mountain man energy. I think this is more refined. Right? I was gonna jokingly say it's not outlaw rock because I can't skate to this. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't really, you can't really, you you know, yeah, you can't really go chop down trees to it, um, and, uh, or yell at Bigfoot to it, um, and, uh, <laughs> God, goddamn Bigfoot, get off my land, <laughs> um, ultimate outlaw rock moment, um, but, um, the, the only thing that makes Bigfoot leave is feedback, um, <laughs> All right. Well, we'll save. We'll expand on that idea later. Um, but I would say, I would say no. I would say it certainly could be taken in that direction. But you know, the other thing is just that, like, in the places where it's the most high energy, it's just more like black metal, black metal. Like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's blast centered and long flowing melody and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's get to. So, in some sense, I think we got to a lot of important stuff already. But we got some more samples to go through. So, 
This is the deafening explosion of long-gathered magazines of passion and spleen. This being a quotation, I presume, or an adaptation of passages from Thomas Mann's The Magic Mountain, the major inspiration for this record. Um, uh, so, uh, as far as my comment on this, I think um, just this is absolutely my favorite riff on the record. I think it is the heart and soul of the record. My only comment is... Uh, I would say infinite riff, but even more than that, there are variations here, even more than that. This is just the riff. Okay. Because um, my next sample is my the riff. So all that's right. fun. Well, so that, yeah, all right. Vroom, Compare vroom. and contrast. Let's go. Uh Yeah, it's uh, very nice, and it's the the comparison you made in the notes, um, kind of offhandedly. I didn't think about it until hearing it again, but wow, that is remarkably similar to the kind of arrangement you would have heard on that Narboleth record we covered. Yes, kind of like lunar and swaying and that winding. is a, that's great some of the riffs on this record feel demonstrative the riff is an idea rather than mm -hmm. coming from a place of uh in, intuitive gut feeling mm -hmm. this is this is felt right and a riff like this that was not felt would not land and the interesting thing on this record is that the big soaring romantic riffs mm -hmm. are the ones that are felt in Atlanta. um yeah. And, like, that is, yes, same kind of long developing structure, same as you said about the Narboleth very nicely, sort of, like, rhythmically, carefully tailored. Um, I love the consonance-dissonance thing going on. It's a very melodic, immediately rewarding riff, and, and yet it, it is harmonically extremely interesting and never quite moves in the way that convention would dictate. Well, yeah, I, I really like, for this riff in particular, the way that it... Uh, in this very long kind of lead string that he has mm -hmm. going on, it moves through different textures against the backing chord where, you know, 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A a couple measures at a time will be brighter and then darker. So you're not. You're, it's it's so multifaceted. It's that's yeah. That's that's what this should all sound like. Yeah, absolutely. it's a real rich, real rich sense of harmony. So in terms of influences, obviously there's an encyclopedic listing that's gone into this, and it does succeed in bringing a lot of different stuff together. However, yeah, so with the Narboleth thing, one thing I think it is tapping into, maybe more than it initially seems to be, is, yes, sure, it comes out of all this sort of, like, post-mysterious guy, USBM stomp metal, right? However, mm-hmm. it is really tied to that whole generation of things that Narboleth seems to be related to, and maybe in a diff- very different side of it, Gallows seems related to. Mm. Or actually, no, Gallows goes further back. Sorry, no, I, I'm confused. Uh, it's, um... The Narbola thing, tapping into these transitional bands, the forerunners of the nowadays sound, mm-hmm. who were all uh, much closer to traditional second wave ideas, much closer to ideas of robust, powerful, kind of uh, riff-based black metal than what has become the ornate, fla- various strains of ornate, flowery, big riff black metal whether it's Mm -hmm. super raw or super polished. Um, And uh, so Narboleth is sort of of a piece with those. Um, This, on that episode, I named, you know, Uvia and Arcanum as part of that. Mm -hmm. I think for this band, it's Ostots and Owl's Blood, Um, especially Ostots, Um, like uncannily. So what Ostots is, you, have I ever showed you Owl's Blood? You've mentioned them as something that Dude, I would really like. It's and... a thing that is way up your alley, and I also love it. Like, in terms of things that's come up in the past, like, ten years or whatever, I... Yeah. I, probably one of my favorites. So, you know, it's on some list. Yeah. Um, but and Ostots... Ostots uh, yeah, is... I've, I, I've dimly heard the name. You've mentioned yeah. them once or twice. So, I've never listened to them. So, Owl's Blood is more popular because it's the poppy thing, or quote-unquote mm-hmm. poppy thing. It's very... It's just very immediate, right? Ostots yeah. is the yeah. Ostots <laughs> is the they only did one rec one full length. Ostots is the band or the the central project, mm-hmm. um, and Ostots is based in basically the same thing as all this, the the newer generation of sounds, which is just Senor Volant style, two three string maximum sliding harmonies, you know, pow, sliding modified power chords, sliding harmonies, right? sort of budget budget epic budget melody sort of stripped down arrangement however he goes for the full harmonic range of like proper black metal in a pagan vein and without just hitting the expected notes of sort of uh sort of uh brash nobility right he gets um and it's a distinctly i think it's a basque band so it's like mountainous you know secessionist spain uh, and it conveys a really unique kind of misty atmosphere uh, with a lot of change going on in the weather. Um, and while weird harmonies and stuff, all while delivering on gut punch shit. And at its best, the Blinding Sun record does that. Here is a sample of Ostots from Heel Argy 2015, right around the transitional time, right? Mm-hmm. But they've been putting out stuff before then. Um, so this is uh, Gawa 1, Malanconia, from Hilarchy.
How'd you like that? That's really interesting. It's it's kind of, I mean, it's made for you. It's a, a yeah. combination of like, it, it's like this perfect midpoint between like austere Dutch stuff mm-hmm. and like austere Czech stuff, like Koltov and Zivi or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see what he mean, yeah. So, like, Asgrau and Koltov and Zivi have a, a horrible little corpse-painted baby, and it's Ostats. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, would, this, I, I, I would never listen to this, but yeah, I understand, yes. Well, I, intentionally, I intentionally chose the most difficult track on this record. This is actually the uh, entry barrier track. In terms of the harmonies, <laughs> um, the rest there's a lot more. There's it, there's it's always subtle and different, but there's a lot more visceral stuff, like sort of viscerally kind of epic sounding stuff, yeah, and simple yeah. and direct on the rest of the record. Do you hear that? You hear that blast riff you dropped into at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. So that, it's a lot more like that. that. Was like okay, that's that's more my thing versus Still, this kind of like. I'll, I'll, grinding power chord stuff that you're really oh for sure and yeah the strange kind of uh weird romantic landscape painting atmospheres right i mean it it all sounds weird romantic landscape painting but it gets more rock it gets more rocking um and so if you want things that sound like all that riff at the end owl's blood oh okay i get it now but you can also (laughs) hear how like half the shit that's come out since then sounds like a worse version of that last riff yeah, that's Instagram black metal. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think this band. I mean, I think this guy understands all these traditions at their roots, right? I think this is a big band for him. I could see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, you know the the way because like the Ostats thing is like obviously totally outside my wheelhouse, but they've got a similar thing where they're playing you know constantly alternating between kind of more melodic and more vast and kind of gnarlier more second wave ideas melodically mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. all the while keeping kind of that same pulse running underneath it so it really is this sort of riff workshop in these varying traditions yeah yeah for sure all right so we have another sample yeah, we should probably do that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm being whip, I'm being like, uh, like, like, like the, uh, I'm being the uh, whip striking demon tonight because uh, we're we're both so tired that we are not moving fast enough to get it. Now, nah, fuck it, man, I can go forever. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. All let's right. Just, um, go, let's go. Let's go get some meth. Yeah, man, let's fucking do it. <laughs> yeah. Time to party. Um, all, right. all right, so we had your favorite riff. Uh, here's my favorite riff off this record. Uh, this is the opening of He Cries Progress and Changes Position, Misthinking It Will Bring Relief. Um, so this opening riff is my favorite riff on the record, and it's very distinctive in the way that it's shaped, and now that we heard your last riff, I'm like, oh, this is kind of doing a Narboleth thing too with a, a sort of extended held chord pattern at the end in the way that Narboleth never does 4-4. They always kick it out another measure or two. Mm. Um, but this is, again, one an example of some of the stuff that I like the most, where these are complex, deeply informed variations of ideas that are ultimately rooted in very traditional second wave black metal. Thank you. 
it was Forrest, they would have played that first riff for eight minutes. You fucking coward. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you play it forever? <laughs> Death metal guy, I am an idiot. How so? When I was listening to this record, and I listened to it several times, I knew there is that one incredible riff that I need to select. When I went back to write up the notes last night, I looked for it, and I thought I had found it. And we are, we are, we're, you know, uh, worn thin right now. I, uh, I sh- I've said that too much. I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's, uh, but like, I thought I'd found it. But Death Metal Guy, that was my riff. <laughs> the one I just played? That was the one I was looking for. That is, in fact, the, I ever take back, I mean, the other riff is also great. And, the you know, the Ostat sample sort of works for that one. But, like, that riff, I absolutely agree with you about the, the Brandicald or Forest thing. That riff is, like, so fucking vast. It is perfect. Um, has everything I want in a riff. And the transition from that into that next Skronky riff is just super ostats. Yeah, that's... that's oh, I love it. I love the uh, serendipity of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we basically completely agree about this record, is that uh, that riff is... Um, that riff is is just... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's one of those riffs that it's like, well, that justifies the entire album. You know what I mean? That's, that's that's true. And, you know, the funny thing is that there's more where that came from. But, yeah, holy shit. Like, I mean, so say what you wanted to say about it. But I, I guess I basically said what I wanted to say about it, but in reverse. Um, I mean, it's basically yeah. the same shit that you want to say about it. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a fucking riff, you know? I, I, I love the idea of it uh, having this, like, incredibly intuitive melodic development in the front half and then we just drone it out on a a full step chord change for like two measures afterwards that's that's wonderful and that's that's a very like deep cut 2000s black metal thing to do you know that's oh, yeah. that's that's not like that's not cool shit people do anymore that is an appreciation of really weird out there shit you know calling it Calling it a riff is a disservice because that's a fully developed melodic idea, right? It's like yeah. the, the 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 thing that the modern black metal guy, black metal underground person would do is take that very first phrase, da 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 da, da and then work it around like Sargeist, yeah. Yeah, change the chords under it, bring it back down, maybe just take that and repeat it, and that would be the best riff on the record. Um yeah. the there are three to four parts of that riff, and you can tell it's written by someone who loves the intuitive appeal of highly consonant, noble-sounding, streaming chords, but recognizes the saturation of that style and is interested in reaching for things a little more ambitious, and yet not sacrificing anything. Yeah, I can agree mm. with that. All right, so yeah, that's the riff. Um and then, so, here is our, I guess here is our only sample of the more conspicuously highbrow stuff on here. Um, I think here it is very well done. Um, okay. I like, this was my second favorite riff, probably. Uh, this is um, the railingless shelf between this time element and the hastening while. 
Um, what I'd say about this is, this is a very continental sounding riff. Here you can see relationships to sort of like late, late, sort of very late romantic, early modernist classical music. You can get the sense of that this guy could be composing very different music if he wanted to be, much more conspicuously ambitious music. Uh, it's got the organic tones sound great here, um, and you can see the connection to the era of somebody like Mon or the Magic Mountain. Um, and it has the kind of, kind of like, cerebral, uh, it, it has the kind of like, um, there's an intellectual beauty here, not in a bad way, but in an authentic way that I think recalls the kind of high cultural stuff he's trying to reference and bind into the black metal tradition. Um, so I think this part's great. Um, let's check it out. could hear that really uh really kind of cool uh elaborate riff in the middle right with the kind of um chiming open harmonies between those two string parts yeah yeah and the really cool rhythm there and yet it's bookended by a a boring riff right riffs that are a riff that is sort of arty conspicuously arty but in this kind of pensive irresolute way right mm-hmm it's just sort of like goes one way, goes another way. You can tell that that's the feeling he's going for, right? It's not unintentional. He's very in control of this, right? Yeah. And it relates to the way this is dealing with novelistic spectrums of emotion and certain kinds of things that are thoroughly outside the black metal spectrum in terms of affect, right? But like, um, but like the middle riff kind of has that quality too, but is, is beautiful, right? Um, yeah. And you can sort of hear how the riff at the beginning and that comes back at the end, there's a sophisticated thing. That's the springboard to the other one. That riff doesn't actually really stop during the second part. It just becomes part of the harmonic weave. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's, like, very sophisticated. And, you know, it does this great count. I guess it would be counterpoint or something in the middle there, but it's awesome. Um, 
so the idea that, okay, you have this sort of, like, deliberately humdrum, frustrated-sounding riff that kind of blossoms in the middle out of itself, that's sophisticated and cool. However, if we're just listening to it as a black metal song or as a loud guitar music song, you know, like, uh, you can wonder there if there's an issue of economy. That, like, some of that idea is already communicated by the idea in the middle. Do we need the other less engaging version of it? And it might have more impact on a record where there were fewer riffs like that. Like, fewer, fewer riffs like the less good riff. Yeah, I get what you mean. Um, it, it's kind of hard for me to comment on just because I feel like this whole sample is really coming out of the extended hardcore background black metal wheelhouse. So for me, the difference between those riffs is not as apparent as it is to you, but I, I, I get the general vibe. I mean, I, I think it really goes back to our original conceit about this record, which is, I think this is just a, a really good fucking black metal band. And I think the more extras it shakes off, the stronger it'll be. Yes, I think this guy, um, this guy couldn't write actually stupid music if he tried, right? This is, this, there's, there's intelligence built into even the most immediate riffs on here. And in some way, especially them, right? But it mm. is, in those, it is seamlessly internal to the melodic idea, and it's working with the sort of, the medium, um... It is, uh, right, there's, overall, I think, yeah, this record is, is maybe too smart and needs to get more stupid smart.
back after uh, threatening on several episodes to play Owl's Blood by playing Owl's Blood. <laughs> um, so we're going to slow things down a little bit. It's like, it's like the, uh, it's like the uh, patrician freebird. Owl's Blood! <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, just shout out your, uh, your favorite uh, obscure band of shows. I used to do it with uh, Ajatara at random <laughs> shows. Um, when I was in my teens, it's like, yeah, play a fucking Ajatara cover. Yeah. Anyway, doesn't work outside of Finland. It turns out. Um, so, uh, what we're covering now is the seventh full length by Hellight. Uh, this is a Brazilian funeral doom band that actually stretches all the way back to '96. So that's actually pretty. Pretty that's deep cut. Pretty, that's pretty like uh, original, original extreme metal band. Yeah, that's that's damn close <laughs> to like origin of funeral doom stuff. Honestly, yeah. I, I I'm get I think that what happened, although I'm not experienced with this band, that they may have started in a more doom death direction and then moved on and become more funeral doom. Because there was a there was a pretty big gap between the first demo and the full length and the second full length from two thousand eight is just called Funeral Doom, which is uh, <laughs> that's a, that's pretty fucking ambitious in a world where skepticism and therakathon exist. But you know I respect <laughs> I, I respect the motivation behind it. Um, so brief thing that I I feel like I have to do every time we bring a uh, a South American band on the show. Uh, there is a tremendous history of South American doom metal, especially doom death and funeral doom, primarily concentrated in Brazil, Argentina, and Ecuador, and maybe a little bit in Chile. Um, but as usual, as I brought up several times, bands from the global south with limited distribution always have a tremendously hard idea... Uh, a tremendously hard path to get into America and Europe. Yeah, um, they get so, flattened into specific regional scenes that are seen as interesting. So it's like, oh, Brazil, Cogamelo Thrash, uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, roots, so, bloody roots. God, <laughs> Just <man>. kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So so Hellite is a band that's been around for a long time, and it's only now that I've accidentally stumbled across them. Uh, so this new record... Uh, Until the Silence Embraces is released on Solitude Productions, who are the main purveyors of this kind of newer romantic style of funeral doom, which is something that I've never really liked. (laughs) But, but, upon hearing this, I think I'm starting to get it a little bit more. Or at least I'm landing on a band that understands how to treat that kind of music in a way that is closer to the real core of funeral doom of the past i would say yeah um obviously the immediate point of comparison is that um what what was the band that uh the tibetan themed band abyss cult yeah uh immediate point of comparison is the abyss cult we reviewed a few weeks back that's also on solitude um I, I like this a lot better than that. Yeah, we weren't too we weren't too keen on the Abyss Cult. I think mm-hmm. overall, um, this is definitely similar some similar basic ingredients, but this is um, uh, 
you know, yeah, this is way cooler. Um, and yeah, I hear like it definitely, to me, this sounds kind of like a early nineties British doom thing, doom death, not just peace fill exactly. I think there's also like relations to stuff that I don't really know at all, like cathedral or like definitely cathedral, even yeah. reaching a little before like candle mass in Finland. Um, Obviously, I, I think mass. I know what you're talking about, but I think I'll have a comparison for you that's a little bit more immediate later on. For, for sure. So I guess I'm saying that there are these, it clearly relates to these older ideas of, you know, slow, doomy, deathy, intense music, right? That's not stone or doom. However, it is all stretched out and elongated and developed and orchestrated in ways that are very funeral doom. And there are definitely some um, strikingly funeral doom passages. Um, you've compared this to skepticism, and I think what this probably... And to me, this doesn't sound that much like skepticism, but what it comes down to is that you know a hell of a lot more about skepticism than me. So uh, I am interested to hear, because I really just know Stormcrow Fleet, right? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, specifically the comparison, because I think this actually is surprisingly close to skepticism, but it's from later in their career. Uh, mm -hmm. Specifically, like, the record Alloy and On. Like, Alloy, Ordeal, and from what I've heard, a little bit like the newest skepticism record that's coming out mm -hmm. a little bit later this year. Um, because Stormcrow Fleet is actually kind of an odd man out in their discography. And then over the next couple records, they rapidly evolved their style and then arrived for a few records at something that kind of becomes the core of their sound. But there's so few people kind of closely studying Funeral Doom. Everyone has a different idea of what skepticism sounds like based off their favorite album, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah. So what are... Um Oh, what do we want to lead with? Maybe let's lead with a skepticism -y moment. I think that's a, send, a good... Because one of your takes on this, right, is that this is a funeral doom band that actually gets something about skepticism. So let's go to your sample for that. Uh, yeah, sure. I can do that. So uh, this is actually close to the end of the record. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a song called Legacy of the Broken Ones. Um, so this, like I was saying earlier, specifically sounds like... Alloy On from Skepticism. Um, so structurally and in terms of the harmonic language involved, this is simpler than what Skepticism does, which is not not really a diss because Skepticism is better than everybody ever, forever. But, uh, but what this band Hellight does is they pay attention to some of the subtle elements of later Skepticism, like this deeply minimal... Uh, guitar performance where they don't feel the need to back some of these winding lead riffs with big doom chords to make it heavy. Um, interesting kind of harmonic language uh, that approaches major key at times. Uh, a kind of staggered uh, organic drum performance. Um, it, it, it's all just uh, closer to the source material than a lot of people might realize at first.
Yeah, so it's the dum da da da. Yeah, dum 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 da 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 dum da da dum. Right. Yeah, just um, incredibly slowed down, like medieval Dorian stuff. Exactly. Yeah, really digging in on that. Dum da da da, and doing it with the instead of like, and doing it like with the monumental feel of. You know, you can do that as like a, a drone thing, right? You know, in a, I mean, I've always said that the first record, the Stormcrow Fleet riffing, sounds like Graveland, like, but um, you well, yeah, you, you talk about of, how it's actually a black metal record. Yeah. Yes, yes, <laughs> quarterly, yeah, but you can do it in this droney black metal way, right? Where you're just changing a power chord or changing a changing a single melody on your bagpipe or whatever, right? But they give that kind of um, lift. Da, dum, da, da, da. They give that the monumentality of like a chord change, right? Yeah, that's the sun cresting over the horizon. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So that is fucking sick, eh? Um, it's very skepticism. I, you know, it's also familiar to me from another band that's influenced by skepticism, which is way and more more in my wheel. You know, testifies to my my I think my roots, but asunder. So it's oh, one, of the, yeah, yeah. one of the only good bands from that West Coast formation of Krusty's, right? And like Asunder, yeah. John, John Gossard's Funeral Doom Band is actually incredible. Um, and they do shit like that a lot. Um, so, but um, yeah, I really like that part. And then, of course, yeah, they do that crashing key change. And then they just do it again. And yeah, it really is like they're distilling. This band is sort of distilling some of the most characteristic and satisfying parts of that sound and delivering it maybe in a more, in a less reserved way. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's, it's blunter and not in a bad way. It's, yeah, it's, it's more like we're gonna, I'm going to make you fucking feel sad, but like hopeful at the same time, which is a very simple version of skepticism's entire idea. You know, yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. And skept, yeah, skepticism has this, you know, remoteness and inhumanity to it, right? Whereas yeah. this is this is personal. This, this is very yes, and it's immediate in a personal way, and it's more, it's more like capital R romantic in the sense of you know a suffering, suffering individual trying to figure out how to relate to the world and sort of you know brooding and anguish and all that. Yeah. Well, what have you Yes. Done? Well, that part's fucking great. Oh, the other thing I wanted to point out real quick that I like mm-hmm. a lot. A, I like it. B, it's a thing I like. I uh, liked in Skepticism is um, unlike a lot of those Doom bands, like, say, some of the Torture Doom bands that you played me, but really more like other bands that sound like them, those bands that just do the, uh, that are very slow and try to be very abstract, but do the kush, kush all the time, right? The, uh, here the drummer's active, and he's just doing cool metal things, but slowed down. Yeah. Like, there was just very heavy downbeat snare rolling double bass under that. Like, you could headbang to that. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the cool things about this romantic funeral doom style is occasionally what it has, like, the edge that it has mm-hmm. um, when it's done well is that it can provide... Funeral Doom with heavy metal kicks. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And a lot of the stuff that aspires to imitate the more 
abstract dimension of the Funeral Doom sound just sucks, right? Um, and is pretentious. Um, so, yeah, like, um, let's, yeah, so to mine, um, I think let's just, since we're talking about that kind of thing, I think I've got another sample for this kind of the more classically Funeral Doomy aspect of it, and then we can get to some more uh, heterodox stuff. Okay. Um, uh, so we'll start. So this is, um, I think this was one of my favorite tracks, The Dying Sun, right? Uh, pick, pick your reference, you know, Dead Can Dance, Gene Wolfe, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Hades. Um, but uh, they do this thing that I probably is coming from this source, which is they do this long descending riff and then they put this major lift in at the bottom. Um, and they sort of modulate it up into a major way that's kind of unexpected. Um, and it's really similar to a progression that Hanging Garden uses a lot. Hmm. Hanging Garden being, for our listeners, being the Finnish sort of gothic do death doom band we reviewed the other week. Um, and I bet they're getting it from the same source, so please tell me what the source is. end of those phrases yeah um as far as an origin for that i mean don't like in my head that's like the hanging garden thing they do that a lot i think that i think you can get there from a lot of places but mm -hmm. my my like shot in the dark idea is that i think that's like 2000s my dying bride hmm. um the, the kind of, like, mid-period stuff that's mm. been a little bit... Because we were just talking about this the other day, about how, mm. like, uh, uh, The Dreadful Hours is, like, uh, mm. one of my favorite My Dying Bride records. 
Um, or was I drunk with my drummer talking about that? Either way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I that, that of, was it. One of your one of your two friends. I was I, I was drunk with my drummer the other day. And we I think you actually did day. tell me that though. I I proselytized the same thing to a lot of people. But, Being uh, in your early thirties and talking a lot and drinking a lot means that you end up. Um, you have some ideas, and you tell all your friends. Yes, absolutely. Thank God there's someone who appreciates it. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, no, but I, I, I think that that particular technique is something, I think, that got really sculpted out by, like, early 2000s My Dying Bride. Because you can see how it's, like, a natural progression of kind of peaceful ideas. And then the 2000s hit... My Dying Bride gets their shit together and then puts out a set of, like, three amazing albums in a row. Um, and then what I'm interested in is actually the ending part of the sample with that kind of, like, tinkling keyboard thing. Because I think that's coming from, like, Elysian Blaze or something mm. like that. Um, Dude, I, a, that part at the end is very soundtracky, but in a really good way. Like, that's the classic, like, uh, moment. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Check you should check out uh, Elysian Blaze or maybe like Wraith of the Ropes. Um, mm-hmm. Both kind of sort of horror soundtracky funeral doom that are both very good. Another effect, you know, the um, an effect they attain in parts like that. It's like a more again more direct, more sort of um, less weird, but it's a little like Ruins of Everest. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. see that. Well, just, yeah, because... just, just the mood, just the mood there. Like, you know, you're walking into the vast ruined space and the sunlight is breaking through the, uh, you know, whatever, right? Oh, yeah, in, in the same way that Ruins feels like a band that is as equally influenced by music as well as books and movies and theater, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very it... theatrical part. Yes, yes. And I, I think that uh, listening to this is like, Okay, there's room for that. There's room for those expulsions of melodrama. And, I mean, if you write them correctly, it's like, oh, they're they're pretty fucking cool, actually. Yeah, yeah it reminds you why it works in the soundtrack. Instead of being this kind of, instead of being a corny soundtracky gesture, it reminds you why it worked in the soundtrack. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, which, who, which, who goes first? Do you want the last um, sample? Let's see. Um, well, yeah, let's. I'll do mine first because I have a an interesting thing to show you in relation mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, your last sample. Um, so this is pretty simple. I just wanted to show this off because I think when I heard this, I was like, "This is what the whole romantic funeral doom thing is about." Because I have been against this whole movement for like over a decade. Um, as a dedicated torture doom aficionado and stuff. Um, but hearing this band, I was like, okay, there's a, there's a, a real logical purpose to this music, and there is a way to make it kind of outstanding. So this is off the third track called The Dead Moment, and there's really not a lot to say about it, apart from this is just a wonderful melodic arrangement that kind of justifies this subsection of Funeral Doom.
know what? Listening to these samples again, I'm I'm starting to realize why I'm more and more charmed by this record because these are these are guys who earnestly love Funeral Doom. Just the the conceit of it and these these riff patterns we've heard before. You know, they it's just this record I'm, well, I mean, this band's been around for 25 years now. They do this because this is the most significant thing in the world to them. And, you know, perhaps it is not the most unusual or the most creative, but even in simple moments like this, they really believe it, you know? And we give bonus points to black metal bands for that, so... I'm I'm giving it to them in funeral. I, I think you know? we give bonus points to anyone for that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I'm thinking more like outside the podcast, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, like um, it's uh, but yeah, no, believing it is is important. Um, and you know, yeah, there really is something to be said for more distilled and listenable versions of things that are intrinsically difficult, right? Um, especially if it's done in a sophisticated way that shows knowledge of the original thing. And you know, we've also been we've also been harping on that side of it. But another way of thinking about it, right, is that this is a one hell of an ambitious goth record. Oh yeah, I can see that. Like, too. I mean, it really scratches a certain itch. Like, not in a goth-rocky way exactly, but, like, there are definitely... I think this... I listened to this a couple times, um, and I liked it more on replay. I think it's susceptible... It's good for replaying. There's a... This is an hour and 14 minutes, man. That's three albums by other bands at this <laughs> point. Um, uh, um... That's the entire career of six hardcore bands. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's that's in fact the that's actually longer than the lifespan of uh, crust punk frontman. Um, uh, um, or but um, it's a uh, it's really long and it's uh, it's got a it's got enveloping sustained mood without being samey. That's a good thing about this. This is yeah, that's oh true. I figured out what this is like. I, I want to do another kind of essay-style review about Cryo Chamber, the label. Oh, which okay. Is, have you encountered this on the inter, in yeah. your wanderings? As, a, as an ancient internet Sherpa, have you found your way to their palace? Yeah, Cryo Chamber. It's like uh, cold meat industries, but less cult. Yeah, it's weird. It's it's like, it's clearly from somebody like cool who cool people listen to Cryo Chamber. No cool oh, people listen to cold meat. No, you know? no, no, no. Cold meat industries is cooler. It's really like, cold meat industry is real industrial head shit. Cryo chamber is, I think, like, uh, like cryo chamber is wonderfully reminiscent of sort of um, uh, ancient future tech like. I feel like when I like listen to Cryo Chamber, like clearly all sorts of people are drawn to it. The people behind the label, I assume, like a ton of the music I like. You know, like I'm sure they like serious ritual industrial music, and like you know, uh, they have some of the more uh, difficult dark ambient on there, like Kammerheit. I mean, Kammerheit is highly listenable, but it's it's bleak and austere in its composition. Um, uh, they, 
like I'm sure they like um, metal, of course, and and shit like that. But um, it's hitting more accessible wavelengths in the spectrum. Like with a lot of that music, there's a kind of deliberate refusal of direct melody. Mm-hmm. Like I think they listen to a lot of coil-derived music, right? And coil can sometimes be very richly melodic, but with a lot of stuff in that tradition, there's a kind of austerity or a lot of like, uh, this is sort of most of it is rich and enveloping and cinematic in a way that certain kinds of industrial purists would find um, too romantic, too sentimental. I mean, I, I mean that's there's, kind of, I mean that that's that's kind of a foible of being a deep underground quote-unquote dark music listener is to think that stuff that is accessible or promotes positive emotions or something like that or is based on you know just more has has a relation to um concepts of music yeah that it's inherently inferior or something or or similarly like a lot of that music can be highly based around um trying to put forth a religious or ideological thrust or being literally a magic ritual yeah right and i love that seriousness about it right and the cryo chamber has a different kind of serious. Oh God, I'm starting to write the cryo chamber review. I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, but what I'm going to say is just what cryo chamber does is it's perfect. It's like vast, imaginative, playful, and pleasurable sort of um, post-apocalyptic optimism. Um, and a lot of it's a lot of it's very dark, right? Also, right? But um. But it's like techno shaman music, and it's soundtracky, and it's designed to be listened to by internet people. It's designed to be put on, playing in looping video on your laptop while you're sleeping or something or reading. Yeah. Um, and this really functions at a, and it's all got this. There's lots of really cool, drone, sophisticated, drony stuff that relates to intuitive concepts of melody still and that has um a warmth to it and as dark as this is this relates very much to intuitive concepts of melody and has a warmth to it and although you can although it's at pick any given instant and you can find a bunch of metal shit going on and relate to it on that level it's not too busy or at any point too hitting you over the head with extremity that you can't just listen to it seamlessly as you fall asleep or whatever yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah, so I think it has that. It has that. This is to skepticism as cryo chamber is to, um, you know, uh, a ten-horned beast. Um, wow. And okay. yeah. yeah, and and this is sort of um, or troom or something um, on a different side of it. And th- this is like, uh, um. And, and this is, you know, cryo chamber is serious in its own way. And I think this is also very serious. And it's, you know, it's not, you couldn't really call this a, you know, we're saying, but like they're streamlining skepticism. It's like, like what is, does that is mean? This, is this what fun funeral doom is? Yeah, Party exact, funeral doom? Exactly. So it's like, there is its own kind of seriousness to this. It's just different, right? Um, yeah. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, I think on that level, it's very enjoyable um, and very rewarding. So uh, let's go to, um, here's a conspicuously metal moment. So this is on, until, we're, here we're getting to the, um, the hidden feature of this record. This is on Until the Silence Embraces, uh, the end of the track. Um, get ready. the secret <laughs> bro heavy oh it's awesome i mean it's like well, we, and it's yeah, also we... so outrageous and unexpected given the genre expectation set up that you the first time it happens on this record i would say the first time it happens the entry is a little a little rougher but the first time well, it happens, i think I just, yeah what? well that's the first track i I, I would say, you know, to be critical, the first track is by far the weakest on this record. Yeah. I think the vocals come in there and have a bit of the um, warbly, slightly off 
slightly, slightly, slightly off, off, out of tune quality of of doom vocals sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Which for for a record this po- which honestly is sometimes a strength, right? But for a record this polished, it's a little incongruous. Yeah, you know what it is. They come in like very, very good vocals for somebody doing sort of like '70s style doom or like old school epic doom or something. Yeah, right, right. It's just like totally. It's just like whoa, where the hell did that come from, right? So the first time I heard that, I like cracked up, but it was also, but it was also a positive cracking up because it was like, holy shit, that's a gesture. And They're so really when, doing it. They're really yeah, doing so it. When they, so when they got to the end of the second track, and you know, the first time I was like, well, that was kind of weird, but it was interesting, right? And then they get to the end of the tra- second track, and I'm like, he's doing it again. They're nailing it. Oh god, this kills, right? Um, and his yeah, voice yeah. there sounds fantastic. Like that's. He's like getting a kind of, uh, like, he's hitting a register. He's comfortable in registers that would make most um, metal vocalists, um, you know, sort of they make they make their voices crack or something. Well, it's also the the sheer. It, you, you can also tell just listening to it. It's like he's recording clean vocals, and they are at a deafening volume. Yes, in the studio, he's yelling like and um. Like he yes, he sustains a fullness of voice when it rises. It doesn't sound it never really sounds high. It just ascends infinitely. Like yeah, yeah. It just it it, it slides up in the way yeah, that, that slide. a guitar slide occurs. Yeah, it's like a guitar slide or like even like a smooth synth glide or something. Um, really cool. Um and. It has a, it does not have, in that moment, you can hear the relation to old school Doom and even like Ozzy and shit, obviously, right? But it's a very modern, it does not sound dated in that way. It does not suggest good times and weed vibes. It sounds gothic and, you know, medieval and uh, also just sort of lonely and cold, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of where I've heard vocals like that. So you could think of it as a more competent version of the trembling my dying bride voice, mm-hmm. right? The whole thing is, I mean, that vocal that guy would probably say like the whole thing is he is a very limited vocalist. He's got a thing he does and it has to do with like being very emotional, right? Yeah, no, that's um, actually that's ex- exactly what Aaron says in interviews. He's like, "Oh, you know, oh. I'm not an amazing vocalist by any means. I just I really try to embrace the feeling and I just go for it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, pro- <laughs> he, I probably got it from him saying it. But, um, but like, <laughs> this is... So he's he's kind of a centered around a couple tones, but this is real... It's a similar tone. It's got that similar kind of um, cold and broken tone, but it's a much stronger vocal. Um, well... Here's the thing, Black Metal Guy. I think right. I might know where the general idea of that comes from. Um, so, have you ever listened to Warning, or have you heard of them? No, I've seen this album cover for years, and I've thought, do I want to be like a uh, a peasant carrying a f- wood up a hill? Um, I use that word to refer to a bundle of wood. Um, uh, and I, I think, I think not today. No, I'm not the peasant carrying the bundle of wood. Um, well, uh, so the, the answer is 
Yes, because this is a truly incredible record. Um, just a wonderful album. Extremely singular. Nobody's ever really done something like this since. Um, so Warning is in essence a traditional doom band playing and operating within a sort of funeral doom framework. Um, which means that it is some of the most miserable music ever recorded. Um, it, it's just, it, it's wonderful. I could do a whole episode about this album kind of thing. Um, but as far as this sort of modified Peaceville Doom Death uh, clean vocal style kind of warbling, I think this is a point of reference. Um, okay. And I'm going to tell you right now, your reaction to these vocals is, this is like a silencer situation. Either you get it immediately, or it's a joke forever. You know? <laughs> This is one of the most miserable records I've ever heard. Looking, looking at you, I what, that's something I see. I am starving in your mystery. Oh, dude, uh, th- this record is like holy fucking shit. <laughs> like, I just like, I I feel the revolver shaking in my mouth every time I, I listen. One, to this one of the most funeral doom things of all time is the comment Leonardo Paolini. Almost crying, nothing so sad, stunning. Just an Italian man almost crying on your on your YouTube video is is very funeral doom. Um, uh, but dude, yeah, that's I I get it. 
I get it. Um, what struck me at the beginning was how folky they sounded. Oh, yeah. Oh, and the, it's... The, dude, the kind the, of... The main riff is like... I swear to God, it's like fucking 30 bars long. It's like... It, yeah. it's, the arrangement is unbelievable yeah. on it, this record. He's got control over the warble in his voice. It's almost like a, a turn or a... Dis, it's almost like a... What's the... What's the Irish thing? Like, not Grace. Um, there's ways of, ways of dressing up I think it might be Grace, melodies. actually. Yeah, yeah, well, Grace notes, more. I think, are more general. But, like, there's there's some other word they have, I think. Maybe it is Grace. But but whatever. There's a kind of a colorful folk inflection that he's kind of getting at. And I think it's probably intentional. Like, the rhythmic thing there. Oh, yeah. The rhythmic thing there is, like, um, sounds like the... British folk bands in the 60s, like, you know, Fairport Convention or maybe like Pentangle or something. Or really, I mean, the rhythm it literally reminds me of is a current 93 rendering of a trad song where it's like, now cursed be, now cursed be they who would ruin our fair land. I can't remember the exact melody, but similar, like, kinds of ways of pacing that are not usual in metal. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And he really sounds like, although he's clearly talking about a divorce, he really sounds like the peasant carrying the um, sticks up the hill. Hey, all. this is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, and we are back with our final record of the night. Eyes and Hands, Fires Within on Dying Victims Productions. Um, so we've been, like I said at the front of the show, we've been expanding our circle a little bit of the things that we're covering. And we, we, we've kind of discovered that there is a an idea brewing in the metal scene of extreme heavy metal. You know, I, I would say that for instance, that uh, Anahata record that yes. we covered would fall mm-hmm. into that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cromlech. And Cromlech, yes. And uh, I feel like, uh, uh, so for, I mean, not disclosure, but just to explain, uh, so a the drummer in one of my bands and a long, long time friend of mine uh, showed this to me the other day because he has been following in a very dedicated fashion, the new wave of traditional heavy metal channel on YouTube. And we have somehow arrived at a point in time where YouTube channels can actually drive scenes. Um, and hardcore uh, worldwide. (laughs) Yeah. Slam worldwide. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, uh, he showed me this as well as a few other records, um, that were also extremely good. Uh, but as soon as I landed on this one, I seized on it. But what's very interesting is that, okay, so there's this whole scene of extreme modern throwback heavy metal that you would never notice if you weren't on YouTube or tapped into it. So I think this is a good thing to cover. You know, I so mean, this... are a lot of the bands on that channel doing kind of more intense stuff? Well, it's it's interesting. Because the old a... school thing has been... I was going to say this is a decent example of this record in particular. It's a great example of like the 
leave aside the extreme heavy metal thing, it's just a great example of the 10-year rule. It's like, which I don't think applies to all things, but it's like we've had New Wave of British heavy metal bands, revival bands for about 10 years as a big thing. And mm-hmm. it's like, these guys have finally um, solved some problems that were visible to you and me uh, a while ago that we've complained about before. But anyway, keep, you keep going with your spiel. Um, well, no, just, uh, I was going to say, so we, we've we got this entire scene of heavy metal bands that are being promoted on YouTube and probably other sites, but a lot of the time it doesn't connect to the extreme metal scene, which frankly doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. the things that appeal to us on this record and yeah, this may end up on my year end list. Um, Maybe mine too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that good. A lot of the things that appeal to us here are the same things that appeal to us on extreme metal records. But in terms of what you were saying, as far as like, uh, you know, for this style, is this representative? Um, it there's kind of a split uh, within this new wave of traditional heavy metal. You know, you've got stuff that is, let's say, on the Anahata side, where it's kind of like U.S. power metal, but then you've got blast beats and you got some harsh vocals. You know, you've got mm-hmm. this more defined extreme metal influence. Mm-hmm. Here's the flip side of that. We've got this just very, like, intense, extremely authentic-sounding metal punk stuff. I mean, I I would say, if you presented this to me without information, I could see this as an extremely ahead-of-its-time 1984-85 record. Yeah, me too. It'd be shocking, but, like, it'd be like... Yeah, it'd be as if something clicked. It's it would be as if it would be as if you know there were all these protean things going on in the metal punk universe, and it would be as if what we now understand to have been it it would be like we now understand it to have been tending towards something, and it'd be like it clicked then. Yeah, yeah. We have the uh, the privilege of retrospect, but, yeah. you know, had something like this occurred in 85, 86, we would have yeah. been like, oh, oh, here's the, the perfect adjoinment of punk and metal. For, um, for all we know, maybe these guys maybe could direct us to a few records, right? You, you, you and I have talked about, like, you can hear songs like this in isolation, but it's... yes. Okay, so maybe let's talk about the punk and metal thing. Um, what's, I think, um, do you want to say exactly how you'd characterize it, and then I'll get to mine? Yeah, sure. Because we have different ways of seeing this, probably because we're coming from different origin points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of this record sounds like punk played in the manner of traditional heavy metal. Like, I'm talking like, First two Iron Maiden albums, um, very old speed metal, like uh, French stuff, like ADX, shit like that. Um, not really the U.S. power metal thing, actually, which is interesting, because that all. seems to be the, that's the first place a lot of these guys go. But this is 
very like straight metal punk and uh actually i've liked it so much i i listened to a punk record for the first time in many years today <laughs> which one was it oh, oh wait uh, i know what you're gonna say okay we'll get to that no not what you think i actually uh on my commute today i listened to a gangrene album from 86 i don't think i've even heard gangrene I, I played a little bit for you, but it's just, it's kind of like old like proto hardcore punk stuff. Well, uh, it's not proto if it's '86. It's well in. Um, but uh, yeah, well, um, it's 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 good. I don't fucking know. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> it a Boston. Fun. It's like a Boston hard. It's like a punky. I'm 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 looking this up. Okay. It's yeah, like it's a, early it's, Boston, it's a Boston hardcore. Band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I had a good time in my car in traffic on the way home today. Um. So, but uh, now that I've said that, so, because I identify, like, melodically, a lot of this is, a lot of this is not really metal riffing. It's kind of punk chord patterns filled out with kind of metallic right hand work, you know, lots of palm mutes, a little bit of tremolo here and there. But how do you perceive it? Yeah, well, I think that's a good way of reading it. I mean, I think this is a case where we have opposite takes, but we're both right, and we don't have to duke it out in an epic battle royale. Um, like, um, I think, like, so if you start from the riffs, yeah, that makes sense. And I guess when I'm trying to figure out genre, I think I tend to start from structure. Um, okay. And so I would say, like, these songs are structured very much like metal songs. Like, they have long i mean and in fact they're they're structured in very similar ways but they have long extended breaks in the back end of the song that are not just thrown in there as convention like shit we're doing something kind of metal we need some part that isn't the verse of the chorus right but like focal points of the song um and uh the songs are all built to open up into these parts um uh and like that to me seems like a characteristically metal way of structuring things. Um, and you know, that said, yeah. So it's like, it seems like to me, it seems like the structures are metal. And then a lot of what's filling it in is punk. Like, yeah, I think as far as the default aggressive riffing, right. The fast parts, the sort of thrashy, the kind of thrashy parts, up-tempo parts, they really are, are very much like, either 80s kind of metal punky riffs or just punk punk riffs you know um but i do think there's a metal way it's structured and the funny thing about this is of course is that proves these guys are doing something skillful and pretty yeah as vintage as it is vintage as it is original kind of original in a way as far as i know which is like you who grew up with long hair listening to you know, death metal and power metal think it sounds like punk. I, who grew up with short hair, listening to hardcore and goth rock, think it sounds like metal. Right? Which means that this is it, actual true metal punk. Yes, it's very much, yeah, all those bands back in the day would say it's that, 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 oh yeah, too punk for the metalheads, too metal for the punks, right? It's like a cliche now. Um, yeah. But this really achieves that on a musical level. Um, the way I could try to, fig like, also, like, one way I could try to 
make sense of what you're saying also is sort of like punk played like metal. You could almost imagine it as what if this is a band from England in like 83 or 84, right? Who like hear metal and want to do metal things. That's one reason, one distinctive feature of the metal punk stuff is often it's people from outside metal who associate it with certain gestures that punks see as absurd. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they have this exaggerated version of metal. And so like, we like that. We want to do that. So, like, imagine, like, the way this band kind of ritualistically opens up these songs, right? And then they all kind of slow down, and they all have these extended passages of indulgent guitar heroics, right? Um, yeah. Which is, like, what punks thought metal sounded like. And, you know, the crazy thing is, like, this this band completely pulls it up completely pulls it off and remind me of why people like that stuff. I'm usually kind of averse to shit like that. It's like, what if the parody was what we actually wanted? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, usually I'm like, usually I'm like, no, don't slow down. Don't, yeah. don't, don't play a guitar solo. You know, like, um, uh, please don't introduce a little boogie shuffle. Right, and they um, and they do those things, and they fucking land every single time. Nail it! It's like not only is it tolerable, so you can get back to the fast parts. It's like, hell yeah, yeah yes. <laughs> All right, let me do a sample. All right, mm -hmm. so Steel City Sorcery, um, such a good title. Yeah, incredible heavy metal title. Um, so just from the opening of this song. And this is going to be pretty representative of the whole record. Because, as you say in the notes, all the songs sound the same in a great way. You know? mm. <laughs> um, so, what you're going to hear here is that the, uh, the riffs on this song are going to be a little bit too complicated for a comparative era of punk. But the kind of interval choice is going to be very punk. Um I think that the first Iron Maiden record, uh, the self-title, is a huge influence here, as well as parts of Motorhead, although these guys are a lot more melodic than Motorhead was, apart from, like, very brief moments. But, uh, yeah, let the people hear it. Motorhead was very melodic. They just, the melodies had four notes. <laughs> All right, let's do this one.
that's a perfect song, right? Oh, that's that's incredible. Like so, so like when I encountered this record, like I said, I was at my drummer's house, and uh, regularly we'll get together, we'll drink a bunch, and then he likes to just like find stuff on YouTube. He'll listen to a little bit, he'll bookmark it, and he'll file it away. And then I'll go to his place and we'll just like speed run through these records he saved. Nice, it's like nice, nice. 30 seconds apiece. It's just like, is it good or does it suck? Immediately. But this one, when he pulled up the eyes in hand, he played it for a little bit. We were talking about it a little bit. He pauses it so we can talk more about it. And then I'm like, let's... Let's run that through. I need more of this. Mm-hmm. And I did that like four times in a row with this record. Because there's something about this that is just so carnal and wonderful. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know how to describe listen, it. <laughs> when I first preview listened to this for the show, I just put on the first track, which is the next one that I sampled. And I heard the first riff and I was like, eh, kind of stock riff, pretty quiet. I don't know about this. Um, and I mean, I listened to like 10 seconds, right? Uh, came back as soon as I put it on to listen to the whole thing, basically like maybe, I don't even know if I got to when the vocals came in the first time, right? (laughs) Um, you know, it just got, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Like, this is subtle. This is pretty good. Oh shit. This is awesome. You know? And then like, by the time I'm like. And by the time we get to this track, I'm like, did he just yell Steel City Sorcery? I had to go look it up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I think... You, you you said your piece on this one? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, apart from... Yeah. Like, this, this is a band that is accessing the sort of truly old shit that... A lot of bands pretend to, but no, these guys are actually seriously listening to the self-titled Iron Maiden record. They're listening to Sad Wings of Destiny by Judas Priest. A They're lot of those guys to, are listening to Sad Wings of Destiny. But a lot of them aren't there's, internalizing the ideas. Yeah. There's a whole other, you know, there's a whole other school of band that Cromlock likes to shit on, who they call like the Fun Times Judas Priest wannabes. Um and, like, this is very, like, it'll appeal. I mean, people who like those bands will like this, too, right? Because it's just obviously good. It's old school and obviously good. Um, but, like, uh, I get what you mean. Yeah, these guys really get it. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and that's really what it comes down to on this show is, like, if you're going to try to clone a certain style in it, a point in time, you have to really understand all the parts of the music that you're imitating, but these guys have kind of made it their own. It's like, yeah. We'll get to it a little bit later, but these guys have excised some of the shit that wasn't great about that era. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, isn't great about attempts to imitate it. Um, yeah. So uh, so that, that melody you could hear, yeah, it had this very kind of like, early melodic punk quality almost a thing that would be familiar for people just it's almost it's a little bit misfitsy you know right um you know sort of just like uh melodic punk but keyed darker 
right? With a more mm-hmm. sort of metal set of sense of epic, right? Um, a lesser band would have done the same turnaround on the second end of the riff twice. Mm-hmm. This band kicks it up higher and makes it sound cooler. Anyway, so album opens with this riff. This track is called The Engine. Um, and uh, listen to it. It sounds like punk. Yeah. like the opening of uh kickstart my heart by uh miley crew yeah I, I don't know what that song is um anyway um <laughs> uh so um what like in terms of like metal punk that is a like in terms of like what the essence of that style refers to that riff is it um you remember i played you that uh broken bone stuff yeah yeah like that's very close in its basic form to the main riff to foad um uh and it's uh and you know there are certain like if if you listen to that riff it can sound um you know like can sound like a lot of kind of various kind of epic sounding dorian scale riffs in all sorts of genres right it could sound like stompy oi black metal it could sound Mm -hmm. like uh, there's a part of this record that really sounds like that um it could um sound like you know like speed metal like 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 uh you know (laughs) i don't know all very familiar melodic pattern right um yeah and but like the way he's playing it instantly sets it apart oh yeah um, it's, it's it's all about the execution on this yeah. record plays like, it the, it's played under tempo mm-hmm. um it's very fast picking really crisp high energy playing but there's a lot of space in between the beats basically like there's like loose 
loose, but loose as in spacious, but highly locked in plane. Um, it's it's thunderous. I, I I feel that, but like with a light touch, I'd say. Yeah, no, it's like they're they're comfortable. They're in the pocket, as they say. Yes, very in the pocket, and it's like the sound. The guitar tone on this record isn't loud. The drumming isn't loud. Um, I don't even know if anyone's hitting their instruments particularly hard. Um, but it's extremely heavy, in part because of that uh, sense of um, the you know the crispness to it, the um, the deliberateness in how it's paced, and. Another thing about this, right, of course, in this style, right, we're like evaluating the riff, right? Of course, in this style, the individual riffs aren't as important, right? Because they're supposed to be a base for vocal lines. Yeah. Um, so this is the great conflict of music that aspires to a certain level of intensity while also having catchy singing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you have a riff and a memorable vocal at the same time? without just having and the thing you want to avoid is the vocalist singing the same note singing the root note over and over again or sometimes what sounds even worse is the vocalist just following the riff which can sound tortured and unnatural and usually forces them to do things with their voice that they can't do um so like how do you have a riff that can work as a template while also being active enough to not just be a chord progression right and how do you fit the vocals over it? A great example of this for black metal people is like, think about the way that later primordials hit or miss, right? Ah, yeah. Um, Alan, Alan would be the first to say he's not a trained singer, right? And part of the appeal of his voice is that he's somebody who's not trained, but who has an extremely powerful voice and passionate delivery, right? And uh, there were times on the later songs where like, because how do we fit that voice over the riffs? It can just get a little wonky sometimes, right? It's not clear yeah. where where do we put Alan's voice or whatever. So with this, um, the riff is written to be a template for the vocal line. It's a melodic yes. and rhythmic template, and the vocalist is singing around it, and he's not exactly doubling it, but he's not trying to do anything fancy. There's like a few little things. I try to pick it up. It's like so like. I mean, honestly, I think that what's happening on a lot of the vocals on this record in terms of how they relate to the riffs is we have a guy who has a... Wait, real quick, can I just say the technical thing I was going to say? Not that it's that technical by any objective standard. Just like, sometimes he'll do like when the guitarist sits on a palm mute for a second, you know, it's chugging, right? Mm-hmm. In that particular part, I think the vocalist, instead of being on that note, would be like up a minor third or something like up a powerful interval from it, mm-hmm. right? Little harmonic effect, or he's just um, he's not hitting every note that the guitar is hitting for sure, and he's just timing is a little different, but he's also completely following. There's no expectation that you would do. A lot of bands accidentally end up following the riff, right? This is how mm-hmm. all these parts are written. It works brilliantly, and the vocalist, I think there's a tendency towards bands like this realizing that a lot of the time trying to imitate Ozzy's bad singing, or, you know, you're not Rob Halford, why do you try to sound like Rob Halford, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing, is not a great idea. And so you're getting lower voices. Yeah, and yeah. 
this has some like you know it's on the Anahata at times it's on Cromlech this guy certainly has it and again his delivery is like more like a sort of Danziggy or yelling punk thing mm-hmm. yeah I mean that that's related yeah that's related to what I was going to say is like so the vocalist here seems to me to be a guy with a very limited range which is not a criticism, like no. most of us have a very limited clean singing range. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We've got, what, an octave and a half, maybe two, unless mm-hmm. we really stretch it. And if you're just a guy in a heavy metal band, you know, you're working with what you've got. So I think what we're hearing a lot is he's mirroring the riff to a degree, but the riff pops up, he has to drop the octave lower. So yeah. you have this this wonderful sort of push-pull effect between the guitar and the vocals, which ironically makes the main melodic line take up more space in the music and make it sound unbelievably heavy, you know? Because these Def- are guys with a... Yeah, because, you know, the like Rob Halford or Bruce Dickinson, they can match those high notes on guitar. These newer guys can't because they're they're not trained singers and they're not one of a kind generational people, but they're trying to imitate that. So they're working with what they have, and the result is brutally heavy traditional metal in a way that didn't exist back then. At all? Well, no. I mean, it kind of did. I was the other thing I was going to say. What they're faithfully imitating is like metal punk stuff, like. Imagine somebody who had just been yelling phrases like, you know, I don't know, um, uh, unholy racket, um, <laughs> right? Just, uh, <laughs> uh, just kind of um, suddenly has to sing because his his guitarist got into got into Iron Maiden, right? <laughs> um, and you literally hear that, and sometimes it's awful. Do you know about the Bad Discharge album? I've I've heard of it. Yeah, because Discharge did that <laughs> weird the thing where, like... Discharge. Yeah. Because so, I know that Discharge did this weird thing where, like, later in their career, they mm-hmm. started picking up on more metal, and they did kind of, a, like, a D-beat thrash thing for a little while. But I know there was one bad... Yeah, but I know there is one distinctly bad Discharge record, but I'm yes, not sure which Grave one that New is. World. Grave New World, <laughs> the record that destroyed a career. Um, bad title. Rhyming uh, titles yeah. are always bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Grave New World. Ugh. Um, and um, it was something... Some of these tracks, related tracks, are also at the end of the Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing comp. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that transition to this... The transition things are discharge riffs, but he's yelling over it like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and they're like discharge riffs, or discharge lyrics too, right? So it's like, you know, like, you know, I, I, I don't know, like, nuclear panic, you know, um, over, <laughs> like, you know, like, um, like, uh, you know, um, maximum crimes against humanity. Um, and like, you know, it's, it's God awful. Right. Um, and so that's the worst example of it, but there are a lot of examples where it just sounds cool. Um, and some of those old 
Although they are not a reference point here, the old bad USPM bands had that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like, in, in you know, bad, we mean bad in a good way, obviously. Yes, um, always. Okay, so we have, are we going to go on this tangent? Briefly, yeah. So Okay, let's do it fast. My, my whole thing about punk played like metal. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to reach back to my youth. Um, I know you're not a pop punk or skate punk fan. But have you listened to the very early stuff by The Offspring? I like The Offspring. As far as shit like that, as far as like stuff that was on the radio, The Offspring sounded kind of hardcore and kind of metal. And uh, I mean, since before I really knew what those terms were, I just always liked it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, for an example of something that sounds like weirdly like this Eisenhand record... Uh, let's listen to a track off of Ignition, the band's second record, called mm-hmm. Forever and a Day. And I think you're going to immediately pick up on a lot of the commonalities that I was hearing. And maybe it justifies my idea of punk played like heavy metal. Or it, it, it makes a little more sense, you know? Okay. Damn it, death metal guy. You're constantly <laughs> comparing things that don't sound like the offspring to the offspring. And that was dead on. And <laughs> you also, get the vibe. Yeah. Also, even aside from its resemblance to this song, um, that is an incredible song. And uh, uh, I'm going to have to go listen to that album. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, A fucking offspring. The ultimate pop punk band. Yeah. Far superior to most of their contemporaries. We, we, we like, talked about this in relation to Pennywise. Any of those, that family of bands, Pennywise had some good shit too. Obviously, I'm a huge AFI fan. But like, all those bands were, in part because there's a time when you could still be a band and kind of get paid for it. Yeah. They were like, <laughs> highly technically accomplished relative to other punk guitarists. And 
even though they had these melodies curving over them, they still kind of played like hardcore riffs. Yeah, and, yeah. But this guy, these riffs really are played like metal. They have that sort of like crisp picking and that sort of like, he's yes. like t- toggling up to those kind of clanging open chords. Like, oh no, I, I fully believe it has the that... pocket groove. Yes, I, I, I fully believe that the offspring back in the day were listening to Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. Oh, I know. I'm sure that's those true. things. I, I mean, and they were also all listening to like Slayer. Like Pennywise clearly has riffs that are kind of melodies like this, but are like written to be tight like Slayer. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so yeah, so those bands definitely underrated in their own weird way. Uh, you know, um, certainly Offspring's vocals like this hold up better than Pennywise. Um, uh, and their lyrics, uh, but um, so God damn it, you're right. Okay, and furthermore, on that note, <laughs> today, coincidence? No, there's there's no coincidence, right? You know, the, there there are only the echoes of history. All unfolds from the well at the base of uh, the base of Yggdrasil, but um, <laughs> they uh, um. I heard a song that, or like noticed it for the first time, that literally and directly and unmistakably parallels a specific Offspring riff. I am, I would guess that this is unintentional. And I think that the, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I even want to do this because I think that the, uh, the, the, the dude in quest, yeah, like, uh, he might kill you. I, that's what I'm gonna say. Like I think I'm afraid my 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 skull is gonna end up on a on a ritual skull rack in New Tenochtitlan uh, because <laughs> here is the last track off the last Makwahito full length of anguish and eternal rest rest parentheses Chikuna Miklan. Uh, um, the record is at the altar of Miklampa and in a climactic moment on the last track it kicks into this it's really hard for me to imagine it wasn't at least stuck in the back of his head somewhere from like mm-hmm. being a preteen or something and the thing about this is i always loved this song this song has real power in the chords and in the lyrics um and it has some of the quality of black metal in the same way that afi kind of did too it has a certain kind of like stern or noble quality to it you know um like and an, a mournful elegiac quality. So like I said quality a lot. Um uh it sounded it sounded epic. Uh so you, everyone I'm sure everyone who's listened to the podcast has heard this song and this riff. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But uh get, so get ready. I think it's awesome basically that this is here because it's like everything about that riff and sequence that's like has this potential to be something that points beyond pop punk is brought out here.
Play that when the collapse hits, huh? <laughs> well, so you're saying a, uh, a, uh, uh, an offspring song, and I have an idea for which one it is, but what are you thinking? That's the kids aren't all right. Yep, yep. God damn you can, it. I, you can hum the guitar solo over it. Yeah, you can. That's absolutely wow, the wow, kids wow, are wow. <laughs> Um And he's because he's a great guitarist, and he's he's embellished it he's, in specifically black metal ways. I, I I've seen some live videos of him, and mm-hmm. god damn, he is good at guitar. <laughs> yeah, he's embellished it in black metal ways. He's added a little more of the sort of uh, the la- the sort of like flamenco flourishes and Mexican folk that I don't know the name for flourishes. Um, you know, uh, but it's right there. Um, and it brings out all the apocalyptic potential of that melody. Right. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, that's, it's pretty fucking sick. Um, uh, so, (laughs) so, okay. So apologies to Eisenhand. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this tent, this, uh, tangent about, uh, (laughs) um, about, pop punk anyway um so on to your last sample all right so off the uh the end of the record uh last song dizzying heights um i always like to play this game with albums in this vein and point out the places where okay here's the things that could not have happened back in the 80s like truly kind of contemporary ideas that just uh i mean if you had come up with them in the 80s it would have been amazing and we would have gotten to cool shit way faster but (laughs) all right so dizzying heights um we've got this like sort of like very modern sort of breakdown structure it pops up here it pops up a, a couple other places on the record and uh, additionally, the harmonic language is just a lot more contemporary when it hits. But you can still imagine this on a uh, a forgotten sort of like NWO BHM 7-inch that just pops up on YouTube. You know, totally forgotten one day. And uh, we've uh, we've listened to a lot of those together, haven't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. You bring your love,
that's one of the few moments on this record that's like, oh, that's contemporary. Because, like, old heavy metal bands would not do that. I'm actually not sure about that. Really? It didn't feel like a breakdown to me. It felt like... They that locked like into a, breakdown a, a, of me. Like, a slow boogie strut, like ACDC. Um, but but it felt like the thing when when Cro-Mags basically invented breakdowns. Um, well, part of it was like hip hop and funk, but like a lot of it was slow parts in old heavy metal songs. Um, like general sense of slowness and Sabbath or whatever, but like. You know, those those songs did kind of like um Yeah, rhythmically that felt more like this kind of like locked in heavy classic rock stuff, I thought. I mean, I get what you mean that it's like I don't know. It, I'm I'm in the context just, it works like a breakdown, you know. Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. Um it's, um, I don't know. I probably don't know enough about old heavy metal to really, uh, really make that point. But I will say, I don't think it sounds that much like a breakdown to me. Well, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> well, I'm the, uh, guy from the, uh, metal background detecting breakdowns. <laughs> you'd say, well, you, you all, you also like breakdown music, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you, you know, you probably listen to more breakdown music than me, but, um, he, I think what it is is just the fist pumping chorus moment. Um, yeah, yeah, that too. But, um, but anyway, but I do think, you know, throughout there is this way that contemporary ideas inform it. And I suppose this is something we've both been talking about, which is just like, um, they really uh, hone in only on the things that punks and black metal people like about trad metal. Yeah. These are, uh, right? So they're all instantly memorable songs, in part because they've all got these sick choruses, right? And these striking kind of affirmative, very cool lyrics, right? And as you said before, the songs like, the great thing is the songs all sound the same. That is like in the way that like like Rain and Blood. It's like yes, it all sounds the same. You know? I love um, how those middle eight tracks are all the same yes. song. Yes, relative to previous ideas of music, virtually all hardcore and extreme metal all is based on all sounding the same, right? Um, and when we go back and listen to those new wave of British heavy metal records or whatever that people tell us are like ahead of their time or really intense or whatever, right? It's frustrating. We, you've talked about this too, where it's like, shit, they got to do like this stupid boogie number, right? Or like this stupid, like sort yeah. of like f- lame fake blues rock bit, or like the ball, the the ballad, or like the uh, the radio pavilion, right? Um, or like here's the inept attempt to imitate a imitate Zeppelin, right? Um, yeah. This band doesn't do numbers. They're not a rock and roll band. They just play sick riff-based songs beginning to end um i don't even think there's a major key on here um uh two songs are all built on these like kill riffs that is the bread and butter fast driving riff right 
that comes from punk ideas of what a riff is that go into thrash metal, right? And this sort of idea of speed and intensity, right? All of it rips. Um, however, it's also not that aggressive by our standards, right? Yeah. No, this this is a pretty like chill record. Yeah, in the in the in the world painted by this music, occasionally some asshole might need to get punched, but this is basically <laughs> about this is basically spiritual quest music. Um Yes. And so that gets to the last thing, which is just a while ago, I last week I went back and listened to so the record I'd never listened to, which was uh, Lightning to the Nations, uh by Diamond Head. Oh. That is awesome. If that you go back a, uh, to it... That was a like, record that was uh, referenced by my buddy as he showed me this record. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, dude, see? It's all it's all syncing up, man. It's all coming together. Um, <laughs> it's all coming together. Just like they said in the prophecy about the offspring. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, so, like... Uh, yeah, uh, Diamond Head, Lightning to Nation. That's always cited as a influence on Metallica, right? Because they did that cover of Am I Evil. If yeah. you go into that record expecting it to sound like proto-thrash metal, you'll be sorely disappointed. Um, what it is, though, it is kind of thrashy in places. It gets more like that over over time. And it, it it's ghost metal. It's like... <laughs> um, weird it has this the, the tone is weirdly gauzy and distant like this record it's often sort of slow they're playing lower in the temp they're like heavy grooving lower tempo than you expect um uh it's very minor key and dark throughout and there are moments that sound kind of like if they weren't listening to joy division it's uncanny um mm. uh and um yeah, so let's uh, listen to the cool, heavy part, but then uh, listen to the part where they open it up, right? I, I think that's that's basically where we're starting. We're starting on where they open it up in ancient symbols, the ancient symbols foretold in the prophecy of the Aztecs.
do fast riff now. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, dude. So do you hear that? That was thrashy in the way Diamond Head is thrashy. Um, yeah. Like, like you hear early heavy metal gesturing towards a future they couldn't perceive yet. Yeah, it was kind of coming into being then, but yeah, exactly. They were, you could tell they were like listening to Motorhead and shit, right? But it's like very contemporaneous. I can't remember the exact date. Uh, but um, it has that similar quality of like, uh, God, um, Damien and I were talking, was it in the interview about who did the first D-beat technically? Do you remember that? You just said it the I think I think it touched on it briefly. Yeah, yeah, like so... Um, I think he was saying it was Buzzcocks, but there are things like that in Stooge, in one Stooges song. And here you can hear how it's also related, the way it comes into Motorhead and shit, maybe through Discharge, as he was suggesting, which would be awesome. But, like, it's also related to these, like, boogie shuffle beats. And here you really hear that. Right? That's not a D beat, but it has a similar syncopated inflection. Um, and it's so loose and... Um, it like it's more like something like ZZ Top or something, uh, and you the way you dance to that you can't like you can't circle pit you can't two step you basically do it like a shimmy or shuffle thing. You leave me fade, you're not a damn, you're bloody ground. 